Captain, whatever I do, I do it to protect you. So you understand? I understand. is all that remains to push back the Empire. You think you might be able to help us? When was the last time you were in contact with your father? What is this? It appears he is critical to the development of a super weapon. If my father built this thing, we need to find him. All right. How many do I need? They are requesting a call sign. It's, um... Rogue. Rogue One. The power that we are dealing with here is immeasurable. If the Empire has this kind of power, what chance do we have? We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. Hold of this moment. The force is strong. Make ten men feel like a hundred. We'll take the next chance. And the next. You're rebels, aren't you? Save the rebellion! Save the dream! This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast... All the galaxies, all for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to another episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. We are so excited to have you with us on this iTunes-only version of this show. Uh, Podbean, Google Play, you guys can all go to hell. No, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> Wow. This, this, is, this is a this is a streaming only episode because for some reason all our attempts at going live were thwarted. But we are recording on Friday night the twenty first on time. We're very punctual. It's just that the technology we decided to use uh, decided not to cooperate with us, which is unfortunate. But we do still have a really awesome show lined up for you. It's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, it's one of those types of conversations that you just can't have alone. And I'll explain what I mean in just a second. But for those of you who are new to the program, you heard him gasp at how uh, how much I was thwarting or, or despising or disparaging, whatever the word may be, for our, our other hosting platforms. It's because he loves all platforms equally, and he loves how easy they make it for him to publish the show. It's Mr. Benjamin Hart. 
Yeah, guys, he he didn't mean any of that. My apologies. <laughs> um, well, no, no, no. Hey, guys. Yeah, um, channel eleven thirty eight is just not working this week. So apologies to everyone who was ex- expecting this to be live. Um, because that was in the past. By the time you're hearing this, um, but uh, yeah, we just thing SWU had to be on Facebook. This one we couldn't even get Facebook to work for IPC. So we're just uh doing it uh, old fashioned podcasting style and just recording it and posting it, and so that's going to have to work for this week. But we'll, we'll try to be back next week. Fingers crossed. Tell Mixler to actually get their act together so we can actually go live again. But yeah. right now, I think this will work. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not just 1138. Like, it, it could be just a, a web issue with just the one website, but it's like a Mixler thing. And uh-huh. there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of different programs that go on on Mixler. And it's just all shut down for repairs right now. I've got some colleagues or some former colleagues who do uh, baseball broadcasts here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and they use Mixler to host their their baseball radio broadcasts, and it was down. Our friends at the Fandom Cantina didn't get to do their programming on Wednesday because it was down. So, yeah, yeah, Mixler's just being a problem right now, but thankfully we don't need Mixler to have a podcast we do it because it's there and because it's a luxury and because we enjoy our partnership with channel 1138 but uh we still have a show to do Uh, the show must go on and uh as we're talking about going on we are continuing our discussion of various star wars movies leading up to the rise of skywalker which will be a big discussion that comes in december but in the meantime we are probably once a month or every, you know, four-ish weeks, periodically, discussing a different Star Wars movie. We talked about Revenge of the Sith with our friend Sean from the Phantom Cantina not too long ago. And uh, this time, we are on to Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Which, should we have done Rogue One first, or should we have done Solo first? Um, technically speaking, oh, oh, we done goofed. You realize that? We I, goofed. I, I'm just now realizing it, but I don't really care because they're they're both standalone films and we can do them in the order of when they were released instead of the order of where they fit in the timeline. It's our show, damn it. Who cares? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's our cheat. The prologue to Rogue One takes place before Solo. So okay. that counts. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you get out on a technicality with that one. Woo. Anybody else getting a reverb? That's fun. A little bit, a little bit. We're still getting the kinks out of this thing. Yeah, we're, we're using our backup plans, and backup plans can be a little funky sometimes, but we'll power through it. Something is going to get through, and something is going to line up, and something is going to uh, produce a podcast episode for you guys tonight. So one way or another, it's happening. And uh, to make it happen, we have called in for reinforcements. Uh, this is a fellow who's been with us pretty much since day one, I want to say. And uh, he, he's been a contributor on the program. He's been a contributor on the patron system. He's been a contributor uh, on Twitter, very active on social media, talking to us and ta- telling people about us. Uh, we're very grateful to have him back on the show again. It's Mr. Joey Mays. Well, good evening, guys. Thanks for having me back. Looking forward to talking about the best Star Wars movie. I, I'm oh sorry, I shouldn't have gone there. That's a <laughs> hot takes flying. Oh man, Damn. get out the matches because that take was hot. No, I you know, but you know me. I that I'm not controversial. I'm just joking around because it may be my favorite movie 
Um, but I know that favorite and best, much like you guys talked about last week, don't always mean the same thing. Uh, that's very true. That That is very true. Because there, there were some games in there that I gave honorable mention to that I guarantee are not some of the best games in existence out there. But uh, we still had fun with it anyways. So um, we're going to have fun with this one tonight. And to get ready for this discussion, I actually went back and re-watched Rogue One on Blu-ray, on my high-def TV, and can I just say, it's probably one of the more visually spectacular movies I've ever seen, period. It's absolutely stunning. I mean, just as a film. I mean, you can, you could watch it with the sound off and just be wowed by it. Like, it's that uh, great. I, I believe it. And and yet, it's well-written enough that you could enjoy it even if you were visually impaired. Uh, one of the cool things that I got to experience not too long ago was, I want to say last week, I sat next to a gentleman who was visually impaired and he got one of those adaptive headsets that will describe what's going on on the screen so that you can hear the dialogue but also hear a description. And it was interesting to get that perspective because I'm like, you know, what would... What would a movie-going experience be like if you didn't have the ability to see what was going on on the big screen? Could you still enjoy yourself? And based on the way that, that he laughed at the moments that were funny and the way that he provided commentary on the things that were worth commenting on, I think you can. And I think you can do that with Rogue One as well. So maybe we'll get to all that. Uh, here in just a second, but we've got a couple of pieces of news to get out of the way before we do that, and they're Star Wars-related news. Uh, the first one regarding one Miss Carrie Russell saying that she cried when she read the script for The Rise of Skywalker. Apparently, um, I mean, we're assuming it's because it was emotional and sad and all this kind of stuff hopefully hopefully she didn't cry because it's because it was bad because it's pathetic <laughs> <laughs> let's not go there but uh yeah I cried, so... man I, I i read i read the things that they told me to say and it was worse than when i was on cinderelmo i just it was so <laughs> cheesy and corny bringing that back Cinde i like it cinderelmo what <laughs> do you not remember that commentary we made a few weeks ago Oh man, maybe I maybe I blanked on that. You tried, you know, I forgot about this that away. Yeah, I've just you, compartmentalized. You, you, you that nugget away and just try and forget that it ever happened because I'm sure that is not a high point on Carrie Russell's acting career. That Nor just from the title sounds like a bad idea. So I don't know what it's. It's basically uh, Cinderella with the roles reversed. Carrie Russell plays a princess and ends up falling in love with Elmo. This sounds like a sentence I needed in my life. <laughs> you don't believe me? Just go do a quick Google oh, image no. search. You mentioned it a couple episodes ago. I did that Google search and I saw it immediately. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh exists. my god! No, 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 no. I think her her look as Zori Bliss is is much improved. No, absolutely. And Hopefully her role is, is much better than the role that she got in that piece of work. I just Googled it, and uh, I just exited out of the screen. Nope, 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 <laughs> nope. All aboard the nope train. Uh, oh. that's, a, that's a big, big, tall glass of nope. <laughs> With a dash of nope and a hint of uh-uh. But Carrie Russell is in this movie. 
in the yes. Rise of Skywalker. She's in yeah. Star Wars finally. Uh, maybe hopefully she'll get a chance to take her mask off. But um, in the meantime, she looks pretty darn epic in that Zori Bliss costume. And uh, yeah, she's she's crying under it apparently. <laughs> so when I read the script he wrote, I cried. I mean, who knows what it'll turn out to be, and I hope it remains true to what he originally wanted. So when when she took a look at the very first script, I guess that was enough to sell her on it to, to actually be in Star Wars, which is cool. Have you guys heard the rumor that they're also um, trying to figure out how to get Keanu Reeves into the Star Wars universe? I did see that, yeah. They're trying, they're trying, they're trying to get him in Star Wars, and apparently Kevin Feige wants to put him in the MCU somewhere as well. Yeah, he keeps turning Kevin Feige down, but Kevin Feige's like pursuing Keanu Reeves now. So that sounds like a Netflix sitcom waiting to happen. Like Keanu Reeves just being a genuinely nice guy and doing nice things for people at the supermarket, and then like somewhere on the other end of the store, on the other end of the aisle, Kevin Feige just peeps his head around and is like, "I'm gonna find you." Kevin Feige has, like, the general MCU undercover disguise, you know, uh, leather jacket, sunglasses, uh, on Mark hat. baseball cap. Yeah, yeah, and he's just yes. following him all, all over the place. And, you know, you know, he looks behind him, he's not there, then he keeps walking, and suddenly Kevin Feige just appears out of nowhere, and he's stalking him. Uh, hmm, yep, I... I <laughs> I'm not opposed to that. I think it'd be funny. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty darn good movie. Is the, there? There are there are definitely worse shows on Netflix. I'll put it that way. I saw a show not too long ago about a, a man and his dog in New York called It's Bruno, and that's like an hour hour and a half of my life that I'm never gonna get back. Oh god! It was just, it, the, the the funniest the funniest thing involved a a scatological term. Uh, that rhymes with hit and run. Yeah. And and it, that was like the only part that was like genuinely funny. Everything else was like very cringy. So hopefully nothing from Carrie Russell's part is very cringy. And um, believe it or not, there's actually stuff from Colin Trevorrow, which a lot of people cringed at when he was announced to be on episode nine. People kind of cringed at the thought of that. And they brought J.J. Abrams back instead but some of Trevorrow's legacy still lives on in Galaxy's Edge, which is really interesting. The uh, the Thai Echelon, is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, Echelon, Echelon, something, something along those Ech- lines. Echelon. echelon. The Thai echelon. echelon in Galaxy's Edge, a life-size version of the ship, can be seen in the First Order-controlled market area of Batu. So something that was designed by Colin Trevorrow's creative team actually made it into the Star Wars canon. Whether it makes it into Episode Nine itself still remains to be seen, but you definitely can see it when you go visit Galaxy's Edge, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Apparently Trevorrow kind of explained, you know, now that he's, he's I guess he's no longer bound by any NDAs. <laughs> he can kind of talk about this stuff. He's no longer employed by Lucasfilm. Um, and he said that, uh, you know, they designed this. They were kind of working with Disney on designing this ship that would appear in Episode Nine and his his version of Episode Nine, and would be kind of a, a set piece at Galaxy's Edge, which is pretty cool. And now it's kind of up in the air as far as like if it'll even appear in Episode Nine, because from what I can, what I've gleaned, it seems like J.J. Abrams kind of started from scratch with Chris Terrio on writing the new script, which has been filmed and now is being edited right now. So. 
I I doubt it, but you know who knows? Maybe they tried to work it in. Either way, still I think you'll see the design in other places. Maybe resistance and like that. Just you know, be nice. It's a really cool design for one. It's just this kind of dropship thing. This kind of looks like a a cross between Vader's Tie Advanced and the uh, the uh, Rogue One. Here we are talking about Rogue One. The the landers they have in this movie. So. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I can't wait to see it for myself in person one of these days. I uh, that day is coming up sooner than we might think, my friend. Yeah. The yeah. countdown to the release of the Rise of Skywalker is now officially just what? A hundred and eighty days. Perhaps, perhaps even days. closer to a hundred and seventy-nine by the time you're hearing this, or even close closer so uh 179 178 if you're listening to this like in november trying to get caught up on all our movie reviews getting ready for it it might be even sooner than that that's the beauty of streaming you can listen to this anytime heck by for all we know you could be listening to this in the year 2020 and it's already come out that's very true oh was that was that craig was that craig now recording (laughs) Inside jokes, yay! Yeah, inside jokes for the win. Although uh, I, I think I have mentioned before that my favorite Craig is Craig Middlebrooks from Parks and Rec. Oh, really? He uh, he he's he's played by Billy Eichner, uh, and yeah. he's he's going to be the voice of Timon in the live action Lion King. Yep. And honestly, after watching that uh, character's arc unfold in Parks and Rec and then hearing Eichner during that little snippet when they're like, the reinforcements have arrived. Eichner actually sounds a lot like Nathan Lane, not going to lie. <laughs> so pretty decent casting on, on that. But nice. I don't think he'd be a very good fit in the Star Wars universe. I don't know. Maybe as a diplomat or something like that. But, ugh. I don't know. Billy Eichner in Star Wars, man. That's 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 an interesting thought. Well, speaking of things being in Star Wars, we have a Star Wars film to talk about tonight. Yes, we do. And yes, we do. and since we have a limited amount of time with you, Joey, I, I wanted to throw it to you directly right now. Sure. Um because I mean, you 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 already kind of made it clear off the top and I I knew when we contacted you about being on the show like we need someone who is a big fan of Rogue One. I think you're one of the biggest out there. Um, there's a lot of fans out of there, Rogue One. Rogue One is just like this film that has endured in this new era of Star Wars as really a fan favorite. And rightfully so. I love it. I don't know anybody that doesn't love it. Like, it's just an amazing film. But I want to get your take on this. Like, you know, what are your kind of overall impressions? Why is this? Did you say this? Is, did you say this is actually your favorite Star Wars film? Yeah, this is my favorite Star Wars film, and I know that to some people that that's blasphemous. You know, you don't really have you don't have. I mean, you have the Sith and you have lightsabers, but you don't really have the Jedi. You have you have you know general talk of the Force and Jedi and whatnot, but you don't see a Jedi. You just see Vader um, in a pretty pretty good role there near the end, and that 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 gets some people saying that they don't really they don't like it as much because it doesn't delve into uh the main aspect of what the original trilogy brought to us but why is it one of my why is my favorite movie it's it's tough to pinpoint because i do think that 
if I was seeing it without seeing the others, I don't know that it would be as high because I feel like you should see the others to get the full effect of this movie. It had a lot of callbacks and nods and uh, connective tissue, which I love that. That's something that I really enjoy in my films is making it feel like a, a, a knitted together universe. Everything fits and connects. I like the connectivity. I, I mean, I understand some of you don't like when it gets into fan service, but to me, Anytime that you could mention something, whether it's a person, a planet, a species, a vehicle, like whatever it is, if you can interlink these movies, this overarching saga and all these little side stories, I just think it's fun. It doesn't bother me at the least, you know, for people to say, oh, that was unnecessary. Because to me, I, I wouldn't say it's necessary, but I just think it's fun. I don't, I don't get up in arms about it. And this movie to me really had a lot of those great nods. Were there some that were a little over the top? Sure. Absolutely. There's other things that I don't like about it either. Like I, I didn't, I was actually, um, I, I guess against, um, I think it was Dominic that wanted a crawl entering, you know, going into this <laughs> movie, you know, you yeah. guys talking about the build up to it in 2016. And I was like, no, I really don't think it needs a crawl. It shouldn't have a crawl. It's not part of the main saga. It should be different. But then when we, when we got to the theater and I'm watching and I'm like, yeah, they probably should have done a crawl. So, I mean, it's not perfect, but I I don't know. It's just, it's so fun to me. And one of the biggest issues that people have with it is usually they go, besides the the non-Jedi thing, lack of uh, a lot of the the, the force is the, they didn't think the characters were quite as developed or there were either too many or they didn't get enough time with them. You know, that's the the biggest thing. And, And I understand where people are coming from with that. And, um, it, you know, it's a legitimate uh, a point, but I really enjoyed all the characters. And I think the biggest thing for me is when a movie's over, if I want to know more about them, I think the writers did a good enough job. And I want to know more about these characters. And that's why I'm really happy. And I know I think Zach said last week he wasn't sure that we needed a Cassie and Andor show. I'm super excited for a Cassie and Andor show. And I would love to see K2 come, come back. Like, I'm excited for that show to come out, you know, and year year and a half whenever it ends up coming out Uh, just because i want to know more about uh those characters from rogue one i I would love to hear more about the guardian of the wills you know uh cheered and bays that would be amazing to me and i know we're getting saw back in the video game coming out uh, in Mm -hmm. november Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of uh, pieces here related to rogue one that uh star wars community is going to get from lucasfilm and uh I'm, i'm i'm all for it i'm so excited and just to wrap it up here on my end, the last 50 minutes of the movie, I don't think can be topped by any other Star Wars movie. I, that is the most thrilling and exciting close to an hour that I've ever been given in almost any movie. I can't think of too many others where for the last nearly one hour, I'm just sitting there and loving every second of what's on my screen. Yeah, I I think I put a thing out on Twitter the other day saying like, because I was, I always think of like interesting questions, you know, kind of looking at things differently. I'm like, what is your favorite Star Wars film if you only judged it by the last hour of the film? And my answer was Rogue One. Like, and I, I'm not even sure, you know, maybe if I thought a whole lot about it, like I love a lot of the third acts of films, but like Rogue One, I remember like, especially in the theater, and you know that, Zach, you were there. Like, Oh, dude. It, it that just so it's just exhilarating. And still, you watch it; it's just it blows your hair back. 
in in the best way possible you know just it is so amazing and it just doesn't let up and there's a lot of you know Phantom Menace like you know even in New Hope like they're very like ratcheting up the tension but like there's so much going on in Rogue One and maybe to maybe not to the film's credit but I remember being like not totally understanding what was going on at the end of Rogue One the first time I saw it I'm like Okay, Bodhi's doing something. I don't know what he's doing. I'm I'm focused on the space battle and what they're doing in the tower. Like it's just it's an overwhelming thing, but still like on retrospect, it's just astounding. Well, the interesting thing is without everybody doing their part and all of those, you know, different moving pieces functioning as a unit, they don't succeed. And so yeah. it's it's not just really well produced but the the actors to their credit they execute their part in the film uh nearly flawlessly because everybody has a part to play everybody does something everybody contributes and it helps lead to that ultimate victory that we read about in the opening crawl of a new hope you know i i think that's one of my favorite things about rogue one in general is that it is a context piece it's a very exciting context piece, but it's a context piece. There's a lot of stuff where, you know, it, it, it go back to A New Hope, if you will. You're in Ben Kenobi's hut, and Luke is working on 3PO, and he kind of squints over at Ben, and he's like, you fought in the Clone Wars? And all of a sudden, that spawns, like, a, two, two or three movies and, like, seven seasons of television from that one line. You fought in the Clone Wars? Well, what the hell are the Clone Wars? And now we've got answers to that. Um, but to to now have the context from the opening crawl that says, you know, rebel forces have secured their first victory against the evil empire, that kind of thing. Well, what did that first victory look like? Now we know. It was a victory, but it was a victory at great cost. And visually compelling, like you said, Joey, just so many things going on that makes for an epic final half hour to, to 45, 50 minutes. I mean, I haven't really timed it all that well, but I, I feel like the last time we talked about Rogue One, I mentioned how uh, that last 30 minutes, which is probably like from the first explosion to the end of the movie or something like that, um, was some of the best movie-going experience that I've ever had. And I'm sure that part of that was uh, because of the first time that we watched it, like you were alluding to, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's quite any other type of movie-going experience than watching it with several hundred fellow Star Wars fans at the Chinese theater in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys mm-hmm. had quite the uh, the setting for the your first viewing of this one. Uh, man, I can only imagine if that setting had been duplicated for, you know, The Last Jedi or if it had been duplicated for Solo or anything like that. Like, would my perspective on that movie be different? I don't know. Yeah. It's not that I dislike The Last Jedi. It's not that I dislike Solo. It's just that I guess everything has been enhanced for me a little bit because of that first impression that I got with Rogue One. Yeah, that audience, that that setting really can make or break it for you. You know, you could be on the ledge, but if you had a great movie-going experience, it might make it, you know, you get that nostalgia when you look back on it. And just how, what, what a great, oh, yeah. you know, how much fun was this? You know, everyone's cheering and, and laughing and and standing up and clapping and and that's really i think the last theater experience i had like that may have been rogue one because that didn't happen when i saw last jedi 
It didn't happen when I saw Solo. And, you know, looking back on it, Rogue One was the last time that the audience seemed really engaged. And I've seen all all the Disney era Star Wars films I've seen at the, you know, the the opening night, the fan event, the one that when, whatever is the earliest showing, that's when I've been at. So it's not like I'm comparing, you know, the first weekend versus an opening, you know, they're all opening. They're literally the first show that I could see to the public. That's what I saw for all the Disney era Star Wars movies. And Force Awakens was off the hook. People were going nuts. Rogue One, same thing. But then Last Jedi and Solo, it wasn't like that. So it just it was very, very weird to me. So Rogue One, because I had that incredible theater experience, I'm sure that has something to do with it as well. And I think it absolutely has an impact on your enjoyment of a film. Like, I think I think a lot of times when – and, like, look at look at The Last Jedi. A lot of people have different opinions on this. That really doesn't matter. The fact is, like, that movie is, like, everybody knows, like, half their friends hated it and half their friends loved it. Like, that movie was truly divisive. But if you watched, like, the the night the, the, the Twitter reviews came out, like, the night of the premiere, and, like, you have that two-and-a-half-hour period where people are watching the movie, then they come back out and they start tweeting about it. And, like... It was overwhelmingly positive. Like there was very few, like, you know, just you know, tweets about ah, I didn't really care for it or whatever. Nothing like that. Yeah. Because I think it's because it's in a theater full of really excited people that love this and they're cheering all this kind of stuff, and it just makes it that much better. Um, I would have loved to see the Last Jedi in a theater like the Chinese theater or just with an excited crowd. And see if my opinion actually changed, you know, because I walked out of the theater going, um, I don't know how to feel about that. But with Rogue One, it was not that at all. It was just like, you know, and I'm sure anybody that went to any kind of opening thing got the similar thing. Like, you know, Chinese theater is kind of the top of the scale as far as like, you know, being this huge theater that has thing. And I urge anybody, if you get a chance, go see a movie in that theater opening night. It's amazing. But like, just the littlest things like Ponda Baba and Dr. Avazan, they show up, everybody cheers when gold leader shows up, everybody cheers. Oh, gold it's leader just, got a huge, huge reaction from my, audience. there you go. There you go. And it's just like, this movie was, this movie was made. I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to say this. Like it's condescending to other films. But like it was really made for the fans in the sense that there's so much fan service. Some of it's, I would argue some of it's not that great, but I think most of the fan service and <coughs> people use Blue that. Milk. <coughs> <laughs> That's it, not even that. That is not even a little that. I don't long, even know. But, I mean, it was fine. I mean, look, it's like they just held on it for like two seconds. Like, it's fine. Like, Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazan, I will argue all day that that was a bad one. I'm not going to get into that tonight because I've made that yeah. point a thousand times. But, <laughs> yeah, no, I um, agree. But, but like, there's good ser- good fan service, and there's bad fan service, and I think there's a lot of good fan service. A la Gold Leader, a la like all the stuff in the in the space battle. Like, there's so many good things. Like, even like, oh, Red Five, Red Five gets like you know shot down, right. and it's like, yeah. hey, I know where this is going. It's like, oh, there's a vacancy for that call sign now. Hmm, I wonder who's going to replace him. Yeah. yeah. But, like, you know, people who aren't into the Star Wars lore, you know, just watch it casually, they probably didn't pick up on that. They, you have to, you know, be paying attention to remember, oh, Luke Skywalker's going to take over that call sign. Like, it's, uh, you know, it's not something that everyone knows. So uh, it, it, it's just a fun little inside look. But 
uh, yeah, it was theater experience was so much fun. I got to see it again with my dad, which I'm not sure he had ever seen a Star Wars movie in the theater. And I got him to go see that one because of just how much I was talking about it because I enjoyed it so much. And uh, it's and we I didn't even really talk, you know, say anything about uh, uh, about Krennic. Like I I just Ben Mendelsohn is amazing. And I thought uh, I thought Krennic was a great character. uh, addition to uh to the universe and well i mean you guys you know me long enough now especially my time on conjacast over the years that you know if i can get uh soldiers you know when clone wars the republic era era with the clone troopers and then here in the um, imperial era the empire just stormtroopers and and adats and just all these great great uh imperial uh, segments that's my thing so when when i saw rogue one in development i remember when it was announced uh and I just couldn't believe how they were describing what Rogue One was going to be. Now, I don't think we got exactly what they were saying at the time. You know, they were right, talking about right. a mashup of like Saving Private Ryan and Black Hawk Down, which are two of my favorite modern war films. I just couldn't believe that I was going to see that in the Star Wars universe. And what we got, you know, it's not as intense as those movies, but I think they did it justice. And I love the final product that we got. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like you know, we can we can speculate and debate about like, oh, what, how awesome would have would the Rogue One, the original cut of Rogue One, be the the Gareth Edwards cut of Rogue One? Like, how great would that have been? But like, what if it wasn't? Like, what if yeah. it was maybe too gritty and too you know mature and too like Saving Private Ryan? Because ultimately, the people aren't really people go to Star Wars because it's Star Wars, and they're not really. Like, people say they want grim and gritty and dark and blood and guts and all this kind of stuff, but ultimately, I don't think anybody really wants that. At least the majority of people. I think people want, like, more serious... I do, I do, I know, I know you do. But, uh... I don't know, I watch Game of Thrones. I get it, I get it. All you you Thronesies out there. (laughs) Um, That's a new one. I've never heard that one before. I just just made it up on the fly. There you go. So you gotta be careful. (laughs) <laughs> Ben's maybe throwing a little shade. Might be. Just a, just I, a tiny bit. I, I like to pat myself on the back as someone who does not pat myself on the back for not watching <laughs> Game of Thrones. What? What? So. Yeah, but that's... <laughs> mm, okay. One of those people that tweets out, I, I'm part of the 1% that has never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> that's like... Uh, I can't even make that comparison on this program. Oh, well, let's just move on. Let's just move on. Uh, keep moving. Keep it moving. Keep moving. Uh, I, op- I opened so up that. Rob- talk talking Rob- about talking about director's cuts. Mm-hmm. We have those types of things with like the Blade Runner films. Yeah, you know, you've got the the original cut. You got the extended cut. The final cut. The director's cut. You know, all that type of thing. It's not outside the realm of possibility for something like that to happen. But considering what we got, I I don't think I need it. You know. I, sure, it's not exactly Saving Private Ryan meets Black Hawk Down, but it does have a very, a very, a very strong sense of sacrifice. At the end, it's got a very strong sense of of devastation and intensity, not just from you know the loss of so many ships up in the air, but the loss of people down on the ground, uh, the loss of people on board your your primary ship you know having to release something like the tanif four just to be able to escape the battle you know it, it really gives me a lot of context again i'm using that word context a lot 
but you know, it helped me understand why the Tan of Four was on Tatooine all by itself. You know, it mm-hmm. didn't have reinforcements. It kind of, it kind of like was almost a glorified escape pod, to a certain extent. Yeah. So that's the thing with Rogue One is it's so brilliant in the way that it essentially fixes A New Hope in a way, because that's always been a quote unquote plot hole, quite literally in A New Hope. That like, and you never something like with Tainted Four. It's never like it never really occurred to me, but like. What is it doing there? Why are they there? And you know, why are they only, why are they alone? And all this kind of stuff. And then you get into the Death Star, and you have the plot hole of well, why is there a you know a two meter wide hole in the Death Star to to that leads directly to the main reactor? Yep. What if was this an inside job? Yeah, it was. <laughs> like yep. now we that, know it was. That, it that's what's so brilliant. I love the character of Gainel Erso. I love the whole dynamic, and I love that they work this into the plot to where it doesn't feel it doesn't feel heavy handed in the way. It just feels natural that, oh, this actually happened. This was the story all along, even though this story we're just not hearing about it. Galen Urso and Jin Urso and Cassian, they were always there. They were always the ones that we've been hurt hearing about literally for forty years now, but we're just now getting to hear their story. We're just now hearing their story. We're just now learning their names. But they've been a part of the Rebel Alliance since you know, the Rebel Alliance was a thing back in the 70s. And so, yes, it, it helps tell a bigger picture. And I love how much it expands on that bigger picture while simultaneously telling its own story. You know, Joey, I, I'm, I'm curious um, what your dad's thoughts were of it just as a movie. Do you, do you recall what some of his thoughts were just coming out of the film, looking at it as its own independent piece of work? Because... That's one thing that I've been curious about and haven't heard from a lot of people is, you know, what did you make of it just as a movie, not necessarily a Star Wars movie or the, or the bigger picture, the bigger context? I think it's beautiful for all those reasons. But what about people who are just watching it to watch a movie? Yeah, I mean, he and I are usually pretty easy to please when it comes to movie experiences. We, we know what we like, so we don't usually go into anything outside of our comfort zone. This was maybe a little bit out there for him because it was a Star Wars movie and he's not a big Star Wars guy. But because of I, the angle that I was coming at that, I was like, it's as close to a war movie as you're going to get in this fictional universe. So I think you might enjoy it because he, he's he's big into those uh, the uh, the war flicks, uh, both old and new. And, uh, you know, he, he enjoyed it. You know, once I kind of explained to him and reminded him, you know, dusted off a little bit of the beginning of A New Hope where we we're heading and uh, a little bit of setup that I could give without, you know, well, not really not really much to give away. But, uh, you know, he was fine. He enjoyed it. And like I, I don't, you know, I don't get too caught up in the uh, the uh, nitpicking of, of the movie dynamics. And he, he certainly doesn't. But I know that he enjoyed it because uh, – because we've watched it since, so and that's not something that I normally would would get to say about a random movie that I get to go to see with my dad, and uh, he he's watched it again. So that is a that's two thumbs up and approval from from him. So I, I, I everyone that I've taken, everyone that I've gone with, you know, people that are big Star Wars fans, people that know a little bit of Star Wars fans, casual fans, everyone always says that they uh, that they really enjoyed it. Not as much as me all the time, but they're not completely <laughs> down on it like I know some are with. Uh, with a variety of other Star Wars uh, entries in the series. And I, I think that's why Rogue One succeeds so well, and I think that's why it connects with people. I think ultimately 
it's not perfect. There's some things in there that I think uh, you would confuse the the random viewer. But I think for the most part, it does do enough to stand on its own and tell its own story. And it's not it's not like oh, this is a prequel. We got to be here, here, here. We got to do all these things. It's about like telling this very personal family story on with the backdrop of this giant Death Star, all these kind of stuff that uh, is happening in the galaxy that's ramping up. That we and like the real story is yet to begin, but yet we have this other story that is happening, and it's accessible. It's not just like oh, you have to have seen. I think, I think you have. I think it enhances your experience if you've seen A New Hope or you've seen Star Wars, you've seen all the Star Wars films, and you know Star Wars. Like it's going to enhance your experience. I don't think if you're going into this blind, maybe you've maybe you've never seen Star Wars. I, I think you could still get something out of this movie. I think you could still take it as is, because but and that you really can't say the same for all Star Wars films. I don't think I would I would I would argue that Rogue One is one of a few Star Wars films that could be a valid entry point into the saga for someone who's never seen Star Wars. I I couldn't really disagree with that. Uh, I I think I would go so further as to as to say that this movie might not even need to be called a Star Wars film. I know that there are big contextual things like the Death Star and the Jedi and their and their lore and their history. But the whole point of these outside the saga films is for them to stand on their own. And I think both Rogue One and Solo do that well in their own respective ways. Uh, but Rogue One, more so, and not necessarily more so, just differently so, in the sense that it brings together an ensemble cast really effectively. And as you were mentioning just a minute ago, Joey, is the rewatchability. I believe this movie is is the one that I have seen the most times in the theaters. Oh, nice. Uh, I, I, I distinctly remember the whole time I was in California, we watched it at least once a day, so it was like you know, Thursday and then Friday and then Saturday. And I think we caught another one on Sunday on the way out or something like that. Like we saw it um, four times in four days or five times in four days or something like that. We probably saw it too many times because I specifically remember an instance where we watched it. We went to like a nine or 10 o'clock showing and then we did a podcast afterward all night. Yep. I think Joey was a listener on that. I was. I could, yeah, oh, that's, was. Right, that's right. Yeah, because you guys were out on the West Coast, and I was getting up for my early Saturday morning at work. And with combined with the time difference, you guys were literally still doing your live show when I was up getting up for work. It was. It was kind of awesome, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you had at one point mentioned that it was better than the local talk radio that you <laughs> listened to. <laughs> Which I don't know if I can confirm or deny that, but it was pretty fun thinking like, oh, we could be morning radio hosts someday. <laughs> this just went from a late night talk show to an early morning talk show. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of of internet radio is, you know, we, we had Dan Grievous on the show a few weeks ago talking uh, Infinity War with us or Endgame. Mm-hmm. And we were all kind of getting ready for bed and he actually woke up early to be part of the program. He got up at like 5 a.m. Bulgarian time or something like that and joined us at 6 or 6.30, something like that, so that he could be part of that endgame discussion. I don't know about you, but I don't know if there is actually a program out there 
that I would make the sacrifice of getting up at five in the morning for in order to try and bring about a coherent conversation about any movie at five to six in the morning. That just does not happen. Sorry. No, thank you. (laughs) We do these programs late at night for a reason. It's because we're night owls. I am not a morning person. I'm definitely not a morning podcaster. I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there. Yeah. No, no, no. It does not happen. You guys are like the exact opposite of me because I'll wake up and, you know, I'll check my messages or whatever. Like Ben and I talking about coming on the show tonight and like I'm up and already at work and it's like six o'clock here my time and it's like Ben active three hours ago. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I, I was asleep for like six hours already three hours ago. <laughs> no i can tell you i can tell you i can't remember the last time i was awake at 6 a.m i can't and i do my best to avoid that it all pot at all costs it, 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 on both ends getting up and getting to bed getting to bed before then and getting up before then oh me oh my well luckily we were able to get our timelines to converge uh for a little bit here do, during this discussion we've kind of given overall impressions uh, but one thing that's not on the show notes that I wanted to toss this in here to you guys, because this is one thing that really stood out to me. Um, favorite location, because we've got a lot of places that we visit in this movie. Everything from the uh, the internment camp that Jin is on that's very rocky and desolate to the Ring of Kafreen to Idu to Scarif to Yavin. I mean, some places are familiar, Mustafar. Some places are just completely new to us. What did you guys make of the locations, and do you have a favorite? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I feel like I, I, my favorite is Scarif. Like I, because of what we get to see there, and you know, it seems like it would be a cool vacation spot. Maybe not the area that the Death Star attacked, but somewhere else on Scarif would be pretty sweet. Just looks amazing, you know, because I think they filmed it in the Mal- Maldives, I believe. Uh, it's just really beautiful, so it just looks great. That would that was definitely my favorite. We got to see a lot take place there. All the other places, like I enjoy them being added to the to the movie, but you know, it's rainy and dark, or um, you you only see it for like a minute. There's there's not, and we've seen Yavin before, so Scare Force New was fun, and because of the uh, the third act taking place there, that is a uh, that is definitely the one that uh, that I enjoyed the most. Although the Ring of Kafreen is a uh, is an interesting one. That was that was pretty cool. That was different. At least the uh, the approach was the way it looks on approach is uh, is very cool. I I too really love Scarif, but I'm gonna say I really mainly because I've been petitioning for it to be in future films. And I'm gonna say Jeddah is my favorite location. Because it is, and I know it's like a desert environment, which is not totally like original in Star Wars, and it's not overly like interesting. But it's so much history there, and like with the kyber crystals and like the giant statues that were apparently once standing, and now they're like you know halfway in the sand. Like just fascinating stuff um, that I would love to see explored. Both like seeing in the past, like in its prime, like assuming maybe there's a Jedi temple there at one time, who knows? It's like there's some sacred Jedi place. And in the future, where it's this burnt up, you know, uh, planet with a hole in it, like, I would love to see more of Jedi somewhere. And it's such a fascinating, like, it's funny how 
the one film that is devoid of Jedi ha- seems to have the most Jedi history in it. Well, I mean, I feel like you got to compensate a little bit just because if you're not going to have actual Jedi that you're following, then you need to be following the people who believe in the Jedi. Kind of like what um, Lor Santeca's group was like in uh, The Force Awakens. Right. You know, they may or may not have ever actually seen a Jedi, but they still trust and believe in the Force. And you've got certain people that are very similar to that in Rogue One, where, you know, Jediism is almost a, a religious belief than it is a way of life, because the, the Jedi were so few to begin with, and then when they were exterminated in Order 66 and Operation Nightfall, they've become the stuff of lore over the last couple of decades. You know, there's a whole new generation, uh, Jin among them, who have absolutely never encountered a Jedi, don't know what one looks like or how they should behave, but still trusting in the force that gives a Jedi his power. You know, that that's a very abstract concept to put your trust in, and yet people are still using that phrase and still putting their trust in something that they barely know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, just the, that whole dynamic and the whole, you know, just everything that's implied in Rogue One is what I would, you know, there's just so much there you could just take off on that. And, you know, and that's not considering, like, Saw Gerrera and the Rebels and, like, there's so many different elements, so much stuff going on in thing. And that's, like, a, that's a compliment to Rogue One itself, I think, is that this film, it doesn't just, like, it doesn't just introduce things. It's not this black and white thing. It totally just puts in this shades of gray with, you know, the, you know, it's not just about, like, good and evil. It's talking about, you know, the Jedi are gone now and the Sith are here and then you have the re- rebellion and it's not just the re- rebels are the good guys and the Empire is the bad guys. It's there's bad guys in the rebellion and there are people like Cassian who are doing horrible things for the, in the name of the rebellion, like... That whole dynamic, just I think, there's just so, there's so much... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, he just, like, kills Tivik right there at the beginning. Yeah, It's just like, wow, okay, he's a, supposed to be a rebel. He's a good guy, right? That was the most shocking scene for me, at least early on, was... Set the tone, man. It, it really set the tone. Because you were introduced to, in the trailers, it's like, oh, Cassian, he's going to be the straight-laced rebel guy, and Jin's going to be kind of this wild... You know, uh, you know, maybe shady, uh, you know, criminal that they're trying to. This recruit. is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. Yeah, exactly. But Ugh. it totally turns out you're almost introduced to, almost Jin is kind of more the the seemingly good-hearted person, whereas Cassian's the one that has all this baggage that he's bringing into the situation, and um. Just that whole dynamic between Jin and Cassian, and, and Cassian's character is easily one of my favorite characters of this new era. Period. Like I'm with you, uh, uh, I, like I I love the idea of a Cassian show and just getting more into his character and seeing what he was up to before that. Like what what kind of crazy, perhaps evil things has he been up to previously, 
in this story. Yeah, I mean, he lays it out all, all on the line. It's almost we're kind of going a story within a story that leads into a bigger story. You know, <laughs> Rogue One takes part of the crawl from A New Hope, and now we're going to take him mentioning a few lines in Rogue One, and they're going to make a show about it. And you know, he says that he's been in this since, what, six He's, he's been doing this since he was six. He's been in this fight since six he was six. Old. So there's a lot of opportunity there to uh, show us. Uh, I'm sure they're not going to show a six-year-old Cassian, uh, but we're going to get to see uh, Cassian and you know the Rebels in, in a different light, a different capacity uh, that we haven't seen on uh, in the animated show. And I'm very excited about that, especially because was it con- has it been confirmed that K2 was coming back? Like if it was alluded to, did... Alan Tudyk definitely say that they did. Yeah, because they, they did had a panel celebration, right? He taught. He had his they, panel. Actually, there was. It was confirmed prior to celebration okay. elsewhere, and then Alan Tudyk kind of came on stage and alluded to it. Yeah, and I know he had at, that joke about panel. you know they mashed up a Rogue One and Firefly, which was amazing. That was amazing. That was. I, I love that moment because it was me and a thousand other idiots in the in the theater when he says, oh, we got a clip. And I'm like, oh, they've got a clip. We're going to see something. <laughs> and no, it's this this dumb, you know, taking washes thing about you curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. But it came to brilliant. <laughs> that was uh, that, that was perfect. It ties right into uh Alan Tudyk's personality and his portrayal of K2SO. And that's another thing that I love so much about the movie is I really liked the humor in Rogue One. Like it was very heavy at times, the movie itself, but there was, mm-hmm. you know, some brevity and levity. And I thought the humor was well-timed and, you know, K2SO leads the way there for sure. And just, man, some of the lines they gave him were, were great. I, I think, I, and all like most of the characters have, kind of comedic moments you get a lot of humor from Chirrut in, yeah. in between Chirrut yep. and Bays. you get you know even you know and especially for reading Cassian and K2 and even Cassian and Jin. like so I think Rogue One I think in this era and like most of the humor in all the Star Wars films I'm okay with um and, but I get where people are coming from when you're talking about like some of the stuff in Last Jedi like I know it's not everyone's cup of tea and comedy is very subjective but I think Rogue One really kind of nailed it in regards to striking that line between making it so that, yeah, the stakes are high, it's a very serious, emotional film that, you know, will make you cry, like, well, is really dramatic and is really tough, but also can make you laugh. Like, I find that answer big and convincing. Like, that's hilarious. Like, it gets a laugh every time you're in a theater watching this movie. So, like... Jim, I'll be there for you. Cassian said, "I had to." Yeah, <laughs> instantly classic lines. Instantly, and I just like uh, I like uh, right when they meet Baze and Chirrut, and K two's like, "Still one hostile." <laughs> he thinks he just saved him, and then he points the gun at him. Oh, it's just like the king. one hostile. So good, yeah. That that whole scene, that whole scene. You have like Chirrut oh, kicking they, when they when they put the put the 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 headgear on Chirrut. Are you kidding me? I'm blind. <laughs> I'm blind. <laughs> <laughs> I love right before that when Chirrut gets done whooping the asses of all the stormtroopers, he sits down on one of the stormtroopers, <laughs> one of the dead stormtroopers. This is like just like like Chirrut version of teabagging him. It's like and stay down. <laughs> the force, the force did protect me. I protected you. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it's gold. <laughs> they are. They're pretty much a married couple. They are pretty much like the best married couple ever. 
Yeah, well, and I know when we had the Conjacast episode, the recap of for Rogue One, you know, you know, who's your favorite character? And I had a tough time picking, and I actually ended up picking Baze. I just really liked Baze. I thought he was really fun, I, and I loved the back and forth with Chirrut, but there's really no... I mean, I think the only character that I would have liked to get more out of, of all the new cast that we got, I think was Bodhi. I, I didn't feel like I got enough of Bodhi, and especially for him to be the focal point, you know, like they're searching for him. I, I could have used more Bodhi. That's that's the one that I think I really would have liked to get to know more about. He's definitely the most underdeveloped, and I think for me, he's the most one of the most interesting ones in this movie. I think honestly, I think he could have used a scene. I think you could have used a flashback somewhere showing Bodhi interacting with Galen and their relationship. That would have been cool. Yeah. I think I think it there's a there's a bit of a missing piece there when you have Bodhi talking about having a relationship with Galen and the whole backstory of like Galen developing kind of this bond with Bodhi and convincing him to 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 rebel against the empire and you know do all this for him um and the fact that none of that's in the movie I think is is kind of uh, it's it's a bummer because I think you know Riz Ahmed is is amazing. Galen, you know, Mads Mikkelsen is amazing. Like having those two kind of play off each other, I think would have added a lot more to both of their characters. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make like one defense of Bodhi while we're on this subject because I don't know if his character is gonna come back around in the discussion. Uh, one of the things that really stood out to me upon like my fourth, fifth, and sixth viewing, it wasn't on my first viewing, but definitely after seeing it multiple times. He gets sent down to see Borgolet early oh. in the film. And as we've got the weird hentai tentacles wrapping around him kind of thing going on, we also hear from Saw Gerrera that uh, an unfortunate side effect of being interrogated by Borgolet is that one tends to lose one's mind. He's kind of out of it for a little while, but then he kind of gets shook back into it. And for him to have that fortitude and resolve to go back to being himself, I think is a strong testament of his willpower and his character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, he was able to withstand the interrogation of Borbalet and still make a significant contribution to the rebellion later on in the film. So, yeah, it's a very subtle moment, but if you dig a little deeper... The fact that he didn't lose his mind while with Borgolet is actually pretty impressive. Oh yeah, he's like, like he he snaps out of it pretty quickly when he starts. You know, I'm the pilot. I'm the pilot. Like he he, he kind of gets his mind back, and you can imagine, uh, yeah, a lot of people lost their mind to good old Borgolet, where he rest in peace. Yeah, they just. It just shows that uh, Bodhi's very mentally tough. He's a mentally strong person. It's uh, I would have liked to see more, but I like Ben's suggestion of what what they could have done to to uh, kind of link it in together. His conversation with Galen would have been kind of cool to have. Uh, that would have been a great addition. Um, but you mentioned, uh, you know, we mentioned Saul Guerrero a few times, but we haven't talked about him a lot. He was an interesting character. The way they they adapted him to this film role you know years after his appearance in the clone wars but that was uh, what a great addition and common thread to link this bigger universe together i remember when that announcement came out in the spring of 2016 you know they was kind of teased that something was going to be announced and that a character was returning or a character was making the jump from the animated to 
the big screen and everyone was wondering who was it going to be. And then they announced Saw Gerrera. And I think there was a large portion that people were like, who? Like, if you didn't see Clone Wars, you have no idea who they're talking about. Now right. he's going to make his appearance in a you know live action movie in the, the first spinoff movie. But I, I just I love that. I, I think it's great. Um, I, I can't say that the Saw Gerrera arc was my favorite in the Clone Wars, but I think it's a, you know, with the way they portray him in the cartoon, it was a kind of a great move to put him in the film to lead this partisan group and kind of have a third faction in this uh, big picture across the galaxy. And, uh, you know, Forrest Whitaker, uh, what a great name to have associated with Star Wars film. Absolutely. And I think... Yeah, I'll be honest. I was probably the not a fan of the Onderon arc when it first came out with Saw Gerrera. I just was not into it for whatever reason. Um, I had a couple of good episodes for most of it. I was just kind—I kind of checked out for a while with that with that four those four episodes. But like, I still like. I love the fact that they they picked up on that thread again adding even more subtext to this film and, and saying, hey, there's there's rebels, there's Empire, and then there's other rebels that are basically terrorists and they're doing kind of bad things. And, you know, like the whole dynamic of like, you know, the rebellion having to go in and, you know, get in touch with this other rebel sect that they aren't getting along with and almost getting killed. And, you know, like it's it, thing. And Sagar as a character is just fascinating. And the fact that now he's, you know, he's been in Clone Wars, he's been in this, he's been in the films, now he's moved on to Rebels, and he's going to be in Jedi Fallen Order, like, that character has been everywhere. He's, like, one of the few characters that links links everything together, really. Um, and, yeah, Force Whitaker is amazing. I like that he keeps coming back to do his voice, that's even better, I love that cohesion. Yeah. He, look, I'll, I'll say, Force Whitaker is great in this movie, he's really, really great, he is weird AF. Yes. Absolutely, I completely. I know that's what it's supposed to be, but it just like his whole thing with him, like you know, just staring at Bodhi in that first scene. He's like, "Bogle it!" I was like, the first time I watched, like, "What is happening? What are you doing? (laughs) This is weird." Yeah, I mean, I I can't say that that he was one of my favorite characters, but I do enjoy that he's present there. It was uh, it was an interesting way to portray him, but you know, it's he's. You know, he's like a, a lot of soldiers. They've they've seen a lot. They've been fighting forever, and uh, he's now kind of becoming part machine with the, the breathing apparatus, which mimics or mirrors Darth Vader pretty pretty darn good. He, he's a he's a very compelling character, but I know that you're getting kind of crunched for time, Joey. So, who was your favorite character? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned I mentioned Bayes when we when I did this, you know, about three years ago, talking about it after it first came out, and it's really tough to narrow it down in that that main group. Uh, you know, he, probably human character wise, uh, I probably would I probably would shift that and say after rewatching it so many times the last you know three years or so. I think Cassian, and it probably helps that he. I know that I'm going to get more from him. So going back through the film now, you know, I'm kind of paying attention a little bit to see where maybe they could take the uh, take the new show, um, and and his partnership with K2SO that has a lot to do with it because the two of them together, I almost see them as a package deal, almost kind of like Bays and Chirrut. They got Cassian and K2, and uh, they 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 really hammer it home 
for me uh, throughout the movie that I think uh, they're they're incredibly like you just said com- compelling, and I think that's uh, that's what Cassian is to me. But I really do enjoy all the the new additions. I don't think any of them were unnecessary. I think they all play their part. I would love to have gotten more from some of them, but there's no one that I think I would ever you know erase or forget about. They're all so so good, and uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll go with, I'll go with Cassian this time around. Well, this, this movie definitely grows on you. You know, the more you watch it, the more you come to experience it, the more you come to appreciate it. And I think one thing that I've really grown to appreciate, and I don't, I don't know if this is something that we want to dive too deep into or we just want to make casual mention of, but I was a really, really big fan of Michael Giacchino's score of this film. Yes, sir. It, it was super last minute from the stories that I've heard, the interviews that I've heard from him. You know, he was getting ready to go on a vacation with his wife and he gets this phone call and he's like, honey, put that bikini away. Star Wars needs me. <laughs> it, was, it was one of those one of those weird sequences where you're like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity and I just cannot pass this up. And he, in my opinion, delivered really, really well. Joey, please go ahead. No, I just, I just echo exactly what you guys said. Like in, when you think about, I mean, even if he had all the time in the world, like the score was masterful. It was so great. S- such a nice um, illusion and ode to John Williams when it needed to be, but still, he, it was still different. Like you knew it wasn't John Williams, but that's not a negative. It, it, it fit in so well. It, and it brought back the, the, uh, you know, the empire feel, the rebel feel, when they needed it and it just it just fits together um so seamlessly it, it it doesn't miss a beat and then when you know oh he did this in like six weeks it, it just kind of takes it over the top and i really hope he gets a another opportunity uh another crack at uh, the star wars universe because uh he did an incredible job and uh i mean his uh filmography or discography whatever you want to call it when it comes to uh, movies and television is uh it's it's getting up there it's uh, pretty good i think a lot of people and i know that we talk about this a lot um over the years once he was announced and, and it came out but people don't realize that i guarantee you've seen at least three films that he's written the score for because he has done a lot especially if you're a, a disney pixar guy yeah that's the thing with giacchino is he's really get becoming even more and more prolific prolific as as we go on and his I mean I just watched Star Trek the other day like that that movie's amazing and the score is even better like and um so many others and Incredibles to now getting you know Rogue One and I think oh, I've gone back and forth on this and I know it may be sacrilegious to say but I think Rogue One in a lot of ways I think Giacchino almost out John Williams, John Williams, <laughs> in some ways, in the sense that, like, you think of, like, how amazing this score is and how, like, different it is and how, like, unique it is in regards to, like, the themes that he brings up. Like, let's take, for example, the Imperial themes. There's at least two Imperial themes in Star Wars prior to Rogue One. There's the, the you know, the very iconic, um, uh, you know, Duh, duh, duh. I can't think of the name of it right now, but you know, you know that Darth Vader's theme, and then you have the original, original, like 
Vader's theme from uh, it's kind of the Imperial theme that you hear in A New Hope. And he does use those to an extent, but he creates not one, but two Imperial themes in Rogue One just for this movie. And, like, as you said, like, how many weeks he had to do it, and he did it, and then he creates a theme for Jin and a theme for the Guardians of the Wills, and, like, this movie is chock full of amazing music, and it is gorgeous to listen to. And, you know, I, I would love, I want Giacchino desperately to come back. I'm hoping maybe he'll be back for the the uh, D.B. Weiss trilogy. I don't know. I just want desperately more of his music because he knocked it out of the park with Rogue One. Oh, absolutely. And probably going to get to hear uh, something from him in, what, let's see, about 10 days. You're going to go see uh, Spider-Man? You're right. Far from home is not that far out. In 10, 11 days, so. Again, working the original Spider-Man theme into a new orchestral theme. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Great Brilliant. Job. The guy's a genius. Well, I mean, he, he wrote, like, a completely new uh, ensemble for Star Trek and yet still found a way to include the, the opening fanfare in it, which was fantastic. So, yeah, yeah I mean, he, he comes up with a lot of really great original content, but still makes it very respectful to the stuff that he's borrowing from. So definitely did that in Star Wars, and uh, hopefully we'll continue to do that for quite a long time. Uh, but before we get to anything else, we're going to take a brief pause for an ad break, a uh, program identification, whatever else you want to call it, and we'll be right back to wrap up our discussion of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Greetings, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I have drifted into the underworld. The Star Wars underworld. I have a bad feeling about this. Hey y'all, this is Ben Hart here. I know y'all just heard me on the IPC talking all things geeky and fun. Now I'm here to tell y'all about my other 
podcast. It's called The Star Wars Underworld, about all things Star Wars. We talk Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Star Wars, Last Jedi, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and so much more. I record it with my friends, Chris and Dominic, who are here to tell y'all all about it. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ben. I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars this week. It's fun. It's funny. We're going to have a great time. Hey, guys, I am so nostalgic for mall packaging, and I love being on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking all the latest Star Wars news. Well, now that y'all had a little taste of the show and you know what to expect, you should check out more episodes by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for the show on the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, the Google Play, and all sorts of things. And may the Force be with y'all. It's a wrap, eh? Back, wrapping up our discussion of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, there's just so much about this movie to cover that it just can't really be covered in one podcast episode. We already proved that a couple of years ago when we stayed up half the night trying to talk about the ins and outs of this film. And uh, it's already pretty late for Mr. Mays, so we're going to go ahead and, and let him give us his uh, final thoughts and his planet score and then we'll cover a couple more things on our own. But Joey, thank you so much for being a part of this evening with us. What are your final hot takes on this movie, if any? And what do you rate this movie out of 10? Well, going into this movie, there were high hopes and high expectations. And I, I think since this movie, that's kind of come back to bite me a little bit. So looking back on Rogue One now, a few years later, makes, it, makes me uh, almost appreciate it even more because i expected a lot and it completely delivered for me it just was such a fun experience like i said multiple times already i just i really liked all the new characters i enjoy all 
legacy characters that they mentioned and show and then all the new stuff that they brought about. It was so much fun. The visuals mentioned at the top of this episode, just absolutely stunning, um, amazing cinematography. Some of the best shots you've ever seen of uh, aspects of the Empire, especially the Death Star. Uh, we didn't even talk about the digital recreations of Tarkin and, and and Leia. So there's so much stuff here to unpack. It, but I just I really enjoyed it um, so much and. I know some people think that I'm absolutely crazy to say that this is my favorite Star Wars movie. Like, how could it not be something from from the original trilogy or the prequels? But, you know, it just that's the way I feel. And I still feel that way three years later. Uh, And in the end, you know, because it's my favorite, it's got to have a pretty high planet score. Uh, And because I know generally where I place the others and what I would give those, this one's got to be a nine point five for me. It's it's not perfect. We went over a few of the things that, you know, we thought they could change or do better or they needed or put too much of here and there. But in the end, it really doesn't detract from the film for me much, if at all. So I, I'm going to give it as close as I'm willing to get to a 10 out of 10 and say nine and a half. Nice. I'm very fair. Uh, I can't recall what score I gave it. I don't even know if we were doing planet scores back in 2016. Were we, Ben? I don't think we were. I really don't. I don't think we were ready to start giving number ratings on our on our system yet. Even if we were, we probably, probably weren't wa- awake enough to actually do that properly. Yeah, probably not. Like, at one point, I, we, we had gone to In-N-Out that evening, and I still had some soda left over, and I saw you slumping in your chair, and I saw uh, Dominic start to, like, fall asleep in his seat. And I both kind of, like, nudged you and, like, either of you want some of my soda? It's got caffeine in it. It'll wake you up. And uh, yeah, you both... I, I, some, some people were spreading lies that, that, that I fell asleep during that podcast, and I, I strictly deny that I... uh, still to this day. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there's a lot about that night that could be heavily debated. I don't know if we have time to discuss all of that tonight, especially with Joey so crunched for time. Uh, Joey, where can the folks at home keep up with you outside of your appearances here on IPC? Uh, you can find me across most of the social media at jmflyer1454. I know I have that on Twitter and Instagram. And you can uh, catch me on my podcast, a variety of them, but most of them are related to sports. You can find all that at jmnjrradio.com. All right. Well, if you're interested in sports, they provide some really cool commentary and on a pretty regular basis. Uh, I've had the pleasure of tuning in and contributing a couple of times myself, which is always a good time. So, Joey, thanks for being a part of this episode and just being a part of ipc in general we we very much value and appreciate you and hope to have you back on sometime real soon oh yeah thank you guys i i appreciate so much uh being asked to come on the show and and talk uh, every so often it's a lot of fun and uh when ipc hits my feed every week it's one of the best days of the week because i love uh listening to what you guys have to say about uh pop culture and uh, i also love uh reacting on twitter and uh, sending you guys some gifts about uh you know, while I'm listening, you know, you talk about me, I kind of live tweet while I listen to you guys just to feel in the loop. I wish I could listen live. I really do. But um, listening to it during the week is fun, too. Well, that's why we do it, because I'd say about 90 percent of our listenership comes after the fact. So um, it's always fun getting to hear people's reactions or read people's reactions and, and know that they're tuning in. So uh, we very much appreciate that. And hey, you get to hear yourself this week now because there's going to be some discussions that are happening after you leave the air and who knows you may want to be able to pop in and listen to some of that stuff too so uh we'll hopefully be seeing you again soon 
Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Joey. That is IPC patron, Mr. Joey Mays. He is also a contributor along with Jake Damon, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, and Parker Ott. If you're interested in becoming a patron and having guest appearances on the shows and regular shout-outs like we do all the time, then be sure to check us out at ipcpodcast.podbean, pod as in podcast, bean as in green bean, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Uh... You can, you can find a patron button there, and you can find all the details about the stuff that we're doing. It's actually kind of in the recalibration and, and vision casting process. We're looking at doing some new and improved things. Hopefully have that out by, like, uh, episode 250 or 300 or 350. Who knows? We'll have it out eventually. But, uh, somewhere in then, that really, really uh, short timeline there. Some, somewhere in that region. It's, uh, it's up in the air. We'll figure it out. But uh, be sure to go check that out if you're interested in uh, being a regular contributor to what we do here on the IPC podcast. Absolutely. So uh, what, what else we got to talk about on this movie before we can wrap this up? Oh, man, we've, we've got a lot of things that we could potentially talk about. Uh, Joey gave us a couple of options. Let, let's go ahead mm-hmm. and, and do the, the, the topic of the CGI recreation of a couple of iconic characters um, and, and the way that they were presented. First of all, uh, Tarkin, and then the very, very brief but hopeful cameo of one Princess Leia. Uh, we talked about this a few years ago. If you guys really want to dig deep into our archives and try and find our commentaries from 2016, you can do that. But I, let's just rehash it. What did you make of them using uh, CGI recreations for these iconic characters? I... I understand why they did it. I really do. And I think for the most part they worked. I think there's a certain there's a certain part of it that people are never going to get past and there's a certain part of it that, you know, maybe still bothers me a little bit. I I still say that Tarkin is about 98% there. I think Tarkin is really well done. I think considering they're not just creating a character, they're trying to match another actor's performance that's been dead for many years. And I think, you know, they were kind of pushed into, like, we, you, know, you can't really recast because it's so close to A New Hope, like, literally days away. And I think they did really well. I think Leia is... Leia is not aged a whole lot well, especially since I saw that deep fake of <laughs> That some fan did that was like way better. Um, that kind of ruined me on that. I still think for just one quick scene, I think was great. I think both of them, you know, you know they've still got a long way to go, but they, it's still amazing that they were able to do that and like they were able to pull off. And Tarkin, I think, I think, I think he gets better as the movie goes on. And it may be because that, you know, simply because you're getting more used to how he looks. But I think his first scene is kind of weird. And every subsequent scene looks better. I think by the end of it, he's really well done. I think you really, you're really buying into it. At least I am. I mean, I, I bought into it, but I think the thing that I was most upset by was the fact that um, our friend Stephen Stanton wasn't involved in his character at all. I I can hear you. I hear you there. Even though he voiced Tarkin in both the Clone Wars and Rebels, like nothing, nothing against the people that brought Tarkin to life, but. Steven Stanton is just too good a talent to pass up on that. And he proved himself as the voice of Admiral Raddus. You know, that was, that was another really cool thing was getting to hang out with Steven in the courtyard before the movie started. And we were like poking and prodding and trying to get him to talk a little bit. And he's like, you'll recognize him. 
you'll recognize him. It's not a cameo. And we're like, yeah, sure. Okay, Steven, whatever. <laughs> and then Admiral Raddus pops up, and we're like, I've heard that voice somewhere before. And then the credits roll, and we're like, oh, my God, of course it was. And from there on out, it was like Raddus instantly became one of my favorite characters, not just because I quote-unquote know the actor, but also just who he is as a person. Like, who he is as a character, I think, I, I dare say, I prefer his tactics over Admiral Akbar's. I, yeah, I think Radis is my favorite Mon Cal. Like, Radis is such a badass. Like, he's the guy that, like, I mean, he's the reason they go to Scarif. Like, you know, you know, they, they find out and that you know the general you know the, the aide comes up and he's talking to the general and mon mothma and he's like oh radis is already gone like i don't know what you guys are waiting on but like radis is going to fight like yep. and he's just he's already on his way i just love that about his character and his whole thing i think he has you know it's funny you know i think a lot of people expected steven to voice or maybe even act as tarkin in the movie and it was kind of disappointing that he didn't get that, even though I think Guy Henry did a really great job. Um, but it's almost like it, it, Radis is almost got as many as much dialogue as Tarkin does, <laughs> because Radis is a huge part of this movie. Like he's especially in that third act. Like we need to act now. Like he's he's really vocal in that 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 meeting scene, and then all the way to Rogue One. May the Force be with you. Like he has the. I think that's the emotional high point of the movie is that one line. And Steven does it. He just nails it. He he crushed it. He absolutely crushed it. I, I wish we would have had the opportunity to talk to him about his role here on the show. Um, but, you know, maybe we can do that after the fact. Maybe maybe one day. Maybe one day. It's, there's still there's still options. I know he's still he's still busy with a lot of different things. He's still he's, he's got resistance. He's got there's a new movie or something coming out. He's going to be in. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. He's he's becoming in demand for his work now, which is uh, that's that's a good problem to have, to yeah, to be able to absolutely. decline podcast appearances to say that you're busy doing other work. Like I'm I'm proud of that. So good for him. Heck yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I never got to discuss my favorite location. Go for it then. I I, I completely realized that I was I was doing all kinds of other other delegating and things like that and uh and never got to talk about mine so um i actually really liked the um ring of kaffrine i i know i know that scarif is is a really easy choice and even though i've got a poster of scarif and the rebels fighting the troopers on the ground like it, it is a great great sequence and i love the setting for that final battle but if I'm talking about places that I would actually want to visit, I I can go to beautiful beaches pretty much anywhere on this planet. Mm -hmm. But if I wanted to go to some place that had a great mix of cultures, had some really great tasty looking food, had a really interesting gravitational spectrum, like the city is basically built in the middle of a mined asteroid. Yeah. And the and the and the towers are coming up from either end of the of the mined areas. So it's just a very interesting setting for one. 
It's got great cultural and species diversity. And since it's set on an asteroid, it's perpetually at night. The night owl in me would be able to function 24-7. <laughs> so, Yay. yeah, the, the Ring of Caffeine is a place that if I had to pick a place in this movie that I actually wanted to visit, I think that would be where I'd want to go. I could spend a weekend or even a full week or, heck, probably a year just learning the ins and outs of the Ring of Caffeine and how it works. I would be very okay with a, a trip there for that extended period of time. Scarif, I mean, if you're on a different continent or something like that, you're far enough away from the Citadel, maybe. But can you imagine like going there for for shore leave or something, and then the Death Star just does like a freaking eclipse over your sun, and you're like, hey, I was trying to get my tan on. Oh, crap. And you just see this thing looming over your solar system. I don't know. I, I, I think I'd be like Star-Lord and just kind of sit there going, there's a little bit of pee coming out of me right now. <laughs> it, it just, it just yeah. seems It just seems rather hostile. Even though it looks really pleasant, it, it just strikes me as rather hostile. Maybe it's because of that final battle. Maybe it's because something that serene just always ends up being unsettling. Uh, I don't, I don't know, but yes, I could see myself doing like a, a layover in Scarif, but I could see myself actually stopping and staying in a place like the ring of Catherine. Yeah. That, that's a really like, and that's another one. It's like, it's barely touched on. Like it's there for like a few seconds of screen time, but it's so fascinating. It's enough, man. It's enough to draw me in anyways. Yeah, so, yeah, go back to that location in another Star Wars film. I want more of it. Well, who knows? I mean, if Cassian meets people there, it's it's possible that he's met other people there, so you might see the ring in the Cassian series. Who knows? That would be cool. What if the the final episode of the Cassian series is him arriving on the ring of Cassian? That would tie in rather well. See, that's the thing that I've always had, like, my concerns about a Cassian-oriented series is his fate is sealed, you know? We, we know what's going to happen to him. We've seen it a dozen times in this movie. So, yes, there is something about a, a boy who's been in the fight since he was six years old. There's plenty of years before that leading up to it. But eventually, you're going to get to the point where he has all these narrow escapes and these dire situations, and you're like, oh, I know he's going to get out of it because he has to die on Scarif. Like, the the only thing that I find that would be compelling and mysterious would be if there's some sort of romantic interest or something like that that he ends up losing right before going to the ring of Catherine and that explains some of his erratic behaviors i i i don't know like the, the that's the only thing that could make for a really interesting show is having somebody there kind of an ahsoka type character that's like okay yeah we see her in the clone wars but we don't really see her anywhere else what gives we need somebody like that that's like, oh, yeah, we see him or her in the Cassian series, but nowhere else. Why is that? That kind of thing. Yeah. I, that would be interesting to see, like, with the Cassian show, like, a good, I think a good supporting cast would help that in kind of raising the stakes. Because that's what you, I mean, half of Star Wars has been, like, prequels and going back with characters we already know, like, you know, the prequel trilogy. We knew all the fates of those characters but you know it didn't kind of take the stakes away when you had all the other characters kind of with them that kind of made it a bit more interesting so like 
you know, like who, you know, you could introduce a love interest for Cassian or maybe some of his family members or whatever um, to kind of raise the stakes in a way. And who knows, like we, we, you know, who knows what if, what if like the final episode of the Cassian series, Cassian actually dies and we find out he has a twin brother and that's the guy that ends up dying in Rogue One. Are you being serious right now? I don't know. Am I? I? I can't tell when you're being sarcastic or when you're like actually speculating on something. Like, oof. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Mm, or a clone, <laughs> or a shapeshifter, or oh, a attack of the Cass, attack of the Cassian clones, or or maybe he's maybe he's a changeling or something. I don't oh, jeez. I don't know. I, I don't know. If what if like can... every episode, every episode, Cassian dies, but they find some really contrived, dumb reason to think, oh, you know, no, no, he survived. No, 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 he was, he was a changeling. No, 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 he was a clone. Oh my gosh, they could do that. They don't give them ideas. They could actually do that. That the idea's out there now. It could happen. It, it would be happen. like Deadpool. <laughs> like Deadpool's trying to find all these different ways to die. And he just keeps coming back to life, coming back to life, coming back to life. And it's like, we can't get rid of this dude. And it's going to be that way with Cassian. It's like, he's died. Oh, no, he's dead. Uh, or he's alive. It's like, oh, he uh, he died in this in this, uh, this train wreck. Oh, nope, he made it out. And uh, oh, pilot's error. Oh, nope, he ejected. You know, it could be all these different cheesy, cheap cop-outs that turn out to be really, really funny. I don't know. Okay. All right. Okay. So before we jump into final thoughts, really quick, I think we'll, we'll tackle one last question, and when we haven't really dived into too much, and I want to ask you first. Okay. What is your favorite single moment from Rogue One? Oh man, how long can that moment be? Can it be about two hours long? I mean, not possible. I don't know if there's been an exact, like, uh, you know, definition of what a moment is. So, knock yourself out. Oh man, this is this is really tough. Because... I like the moment. I like the moment between where it says Rogue One and when it goes to the end credits. Yeah, that would moment. be my first choice, honestly. Um, but I think if I had to pick. It would be the the scene where Saw's rebels mount an incursion in Jeddah City. Mm-hmm. Because it shows just how extreme of an extremist he really is. Like, he's not trying to engage in regular warfare. He's committing acts of sabotage in the city where innocents could get hurt. That little yeah. girl that's crying that Jin has to go save... If Jin isn't there to save her, that little girl probably dies. And it's Saw's fault. So, yeah. you know, that, that incursion, that explosion, that choice that they have to make to save the little girl, to shoot down the sniper, uh, the, the intervening of Chirrut and Bays to help them out of their situation, and quite possibly one of my favorite moments in the whole movie where K2 shows up, and uh, he's he's right behind another um, reprogrammed Imperial droid. And Jin shoots down the other droid, and then he looks at it. And you could tell that he's wide-eyed. He's a droid, but you know that he's wide-eyed. And he looks at, the, at his fallen brother, and he looks at Jin and goes, Did you know that wasn't me? <laughs> and she's like, Yeah. 
Yeah, of course. And then he, like, talks about how bored he was. And he's like, awful lot of explosions for two people trying to blend in. And just casually tosses a grenade behind him and kills two troopers. Like, K2SO is a badass, dude. He is you know, a certified badass. He is so great. You know what? My favorite moment, I'm going to tie it right in with yours, is a, is a scene that happens right after that. The slap? Where? The slap. The because, slap. Because, because it's not only a funny scene, it's when you realize that it was improvised by Alan Tudyk. I saw and, that! I and saw that! if you actually watch Diego Luna's face, he's cracking up laughing. He is. He's covering his face to keep from talking. And they left that cut in. They left it in. Alan Tudyk just did it, and it cracks Diego Luna up, and he covers his face, and they're like, oh, that's a good take. Just leave it in there. So I mean, there's it's a, literally a scene where an actor like breaks character and it's still there. I mean, he didn't necessarily break character, though, because that's right along the lines of something you would expect from K2SO. And Alan Tudyk's improvisation actually ended up making it into the final cut. Like, yeah. that's just hilarious. Because, yeah, and there's, he, he's got his hand over his face and could make it look like he's he's, you know, reeling from the smack. But you can see that he's like looking up at Alan and like cracking up. He's like laughing at what he just did. He's like, and there's a fresh one if you mouth off again. Like, oh my gosh, that is so so. And there's funny. a really there's a really sweet moment after that, after Chirrut comes and saves them, where K two just casually says, "Oh, uh, sorry about the slap." And he's like, yes. I think he legitimately felt bad about doing that. He's like, no, no, I had to, I had to, I had to, like, I had to stay in character as this, you know, you know, ruthless Imperial droid, but I really didn't want to do it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Cassian. Well, at first he plays the role of incompetent Imperial droid. He's like, where are you taking these prisoners? These are prisoners. Like, <laughs> that's a Siri type of response, you know? Where are you taking these prisoners? These are prisoners. Yes, I know. Where are you taking them? I'm taking them to imprison them. In prison. <laughs> oh, my oh my gosh, dude. I forgot how many laughs this movie had. And a lot of them came from K2SO. A lot of them came from Cheered and Bays. Um, but a lot of them were also uh, sarcasm. And then I think one of the greatest laughs that I had the whole movie. You know, I, I rewatched it last night as quote unquote homework, if you will. Oh. And I think one of my favorite funny moments was something that I don't think was meant to be funny, but just more witty was Vader's force choking of director Krennic. And he's down on all fours and Vader just very nonchalantly turns to reveal that he's choking him. And then with a voice as James Earl Jones could only provide says, be careful not to choke on your aspirations director. (laughs) Like, oh, it's wordplay, but it's also a threat, and it's also witty, but it's also Darth Vader being intimidating. Like, the writing of this movie was near flawless. It's so, I mean, just like from Jin to Cassian to using these classic characters like Vader, it, like, that, that, be careful not to choke on your aspirations is like, so Vader. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, it's so like I don't I think a few people actually had problems with it, but like 
I don't. I think it's perfect. I think it perfectly fits Vader. Like, of course you would say something like this. Because, you know what? If you think of it in the context of, would Anakin Skywalker say that? Yes, he would. Oh, hell yeah. That is exactly what Anakin would say in that situation. And, And they're basically the same character. So, you know, it just makes sense. Well, and then if you think about something like Return of the Jedi, he makes it to Death Star 2, and Moff Gergerod is like, we'll double all efforts. And Vader's like, I hope so, Commander, for your sake. The Emperor is not as forgiving as I am. And it's like, holy crap, dude, you only forgive people after you kill them. So you're implying that the Emperor will just kill you and won't forgive you. Like... Oh, my gosh. That type of wordplay and and clever writing has absolutely existed in Vader's character since the beginning. Yeah, it's it's so great. It matches perfectly. And that's what that's what Rogue One does perfectly is that it just matches it. You can play and I've done this and I highly recommend it. You can play Rogue One and then play A New Hope immediately afterwards. It fits so well. Does it really? So perfect. Like it's just going into, you know, you seeing. You know, you're in the halls of the Tank to Four, and the next thing you know, there's Princess Leia, and there's all these droids, and it's like, wow, like, it just, like, they did such a good job of linking those two films to where you're, you're watching, you know, completely different characters, but essentially the same story playing out. So, let me ask you this, then, and and I don't I don't know if this is a fair comparison to make. It's probably not, but this is the first incident... Or the first instance, I don't know if you can call it an instant. The first instance where one movie drops off and another movie picks up directly after it. Right. People praise the bridge between Rogue One and A New Hope. And yet the bridge between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi gets put under a a stronger microscope, if you will. Why do you think that is? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's I mean mainly because I think I mean obviously A New Hope is you know a forty-year-old film, mm-hmm. and you know it's not you're not necessarily looking at oh well, well A New Hope didn't do this or do that. It's mostly like just Rogue One kind of had to had this kind of empty puzzle like like unfinished puzzle. It kind of had to fit itself in. I'm sure that's a bit easier than trying to work with multiple directors kind of at the same time because, like, Ryan Johnson was writing Force Awakens, writing Last Jedi as he was watching dailies from Force Awakens that were coming in as they were filming it. Like, those movies were made in tandem. Um, And, like, you can, you know, you can criticize or or praise, like, anything about that system because, you know, they they did it. And um, I think there's pluses and minuses to you know kind of force awakens the last jedi i think ultimately i think force awakens is kind of movie that you end the way you ended it you really had to kind of pick it up where it left off um and i think i think a lot of people's problems with last jedi kind of stem from like yeah jj abrams kind of just wrote ryan Johnson into a corner and he had to write himself out but uh like i think ultimately it's a bit different but also it's a lot the same it is funny had that you know force awakens Rogue One, Last Jedi, all came out, you know, year apart, um, or within three years of each other, and uh, and they, you know, play off each other so similarly, um, and it's also very differently. Yeah, I, I think I think the uh, precedent that gets set for 
you know, building off of something from the 70s is very different from the precedent of building something that has been established just a couple of years prior. You know, yeah, you, you have a more beloved story that you're doing some fan servicing to. You you have a bit of a tighter box that you have to work with. I think Edwards knew what he had to work with and he made it work to his advantage really well. Uh, Ryan Johnson had a bigger box to work with and he was able to think outside that box. Mm-hmm. And because he had so much more to work with, you know, picking up from where The Force Awakens left off was only a small part of the story that he was telling. You know, he had a much, much bigger story that he was trying to bring into play here, and it just happened to coincide with the with the finish of The Force Awakens. Uh, you know, ex- extrapolating on the, the box analogy, like, you know, Rogue One had to work itself into a teeny tiny box. It had to kind of funnel its story into this one area. Whereas... Last Jedi was coming out of the box. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was, you know, Force Awakens kind of whittles it down to, okay, you're left with, you know, the story ends and Luke's there, and now you have to take that and run with it and do what you want with it. So it's a completely different kind of, like, almost an opposite kind of way um, how the story kind of, you know, deals with itself. Yep, fair point. Very fair point. Um, Jeez. Still so much to talk about here. I. Uh, Let's talk about some of the characters. We're not going to do favorite character just yet because there's there's a few characters worth uh, expanding upon. Um, let's start with the obvious, Director Krennic. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben Mendelsohn, we've seen him in different various roles over the last few years, and he's just proven himself time and again. But seeing the way that he carries himself uh, in front of Tarkin, in front of... Um, in, in front of his uh, his underlings, in front of Galen, you know he's he's got a lot of different things going on, and yet Mendelssohn makes him into a very complete character. Oh yeah, it, it, I, I love Krennic is one of my favorite characters, like one of my favorite villains because he's just this guy that's, you know, he's kind of straight laced, but he's also unhinged at times and you know he's got a temper and he's not this like withdrawn imperial officer he really like lets his emotions fly at times um and he's just so entertaining and ben mendelson is a badass what what did you make of him being very ambitious and even rambunctious in front of tarkin and yet very submissive to vader like, it's almost like the reverse in A New Hope, because right. some of the, the commanding officers on board the Death Star, uh, one Moff in particular, you know, kind of mocks Vader to a certain degree. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader, but listen to Tarkin very intently. So... What is Krennic's dynamic with those two characters that he's, you know, very, very quiet amongst Vader, but is willing to yell at Tarkin? Yeah, that is an interesting dynamic that, like, Vader's just kind of looked at as like a fellow co-worker in A New Hope, like, and even Vader is kind of bowing down to Tarkin. But, like, Krennic doesn't seem to care about 
Tarkin. Like he just like he has had it with Tarkin, and he's not afraid of him. But he meets him on Mustafar, and I guess like it's more of the environment. Like going to Mustafar is pretty intimidating, and then you see Vader come out of the fog. Um, I can imagine that's kind of a, a scary incident. But you know, maybe, maybe it's just the fact that you know. Uh, those guys in in the conference room, maybe they've never really been around Vader, or they don't know who he is, whereas maybe Krennic is smarter than they are and understands kind of what he's capable of and why he very much respects Vader. As I mean, and he gets a very, just as uh, Mahdi gets, uh, he gets a demonstration of Vader's power around his throat. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Very, very fair point. Um, it's just, it's really interesting how he can be like that, but then can also be somebody that just executes scientists on a landing platform as well. Right. He's he's very cunning, and he's very, uh, you know, like, try kind of acts like he's trying to be your friend, and then will, I mean, will ruthlessly, like, murder a bunch of people, you know, no problems. That was actually one of the more intimidating scenes for me, because, uh, you know... He, he kind of set the tone a little bit um, with Lyra's death in the prologue, mm-hmm. but to show that he's capable of that on a regular basis, that it's not something that he's afraid to do, even you know at the expense of all those top minds that have been working on the Death Star, it was, it was, it was a pretty big moment because you're seeing all these people gunned down, and Jin's got this fear that her father must be next, and you top that off with a rainy environment. I mean, it's just a very dark and gloomy scene and very uh just dark thematically as far as the situation goes oh yeah that whole sequence on edu is crazy and in the best way possible like it's just the tension and you know the, the, the between the characters and yeah it's amazing that fight sequence there's one fight there's there's one part of that fight sequence that i'm always both in awe of and then also scoffing at simultaneously. Do you know what I'm referring to? Probably. That that sequence where Chirrut pulls out a projectile weapon. I don't even know what to call it. Is it a crossbow? I don't even know. It's like it's like a, uh, a bowcaster. It's very similar much. to a bowcaster, which I don't really get. How can a blind person use a bowcaster, for one? And for second, the fact that he was accurate enough not only to knock a TIE fighter out of the sky but was also able to knock that TIE fighter out of the sky directly into the anti-aircraft cannon that's lodged into the side of the mountain. Like, uh-huh. what are the odds, you know? Don't tell me the odds. Right, don't don't tell me the odds. Never tell me the odds, says Han Solo, because the the odds of something like that actually happening in that particular situation with those particular dynamics, those factors involved, I'm just like, what? And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was impressive, but it was, it was, it was also kind of like, really? And that's the beauty of Star Wars. You know, you can have both beautiful and crazy all at the same time. Absolutely. Okay, I think we should talk about that that final fight sequence. Like we were talking with Joey, that battle on Scarif is quite possibly the best battle in all of Star Wars. It's it's great. Like it is 
fantastic. It is so well done and well edited and well, like, you know, the special effects. It just everything. It's firing on all cylinders. And, you know, that's what just enhances this movie is that final act. Well, yeah, because that's basically what everything has been building up to. And you know that it's been building up to that. You know that this is what's been coming. You know that this is what's on the horizon. And yet you still don't know how all of it's going to play out. You don't know if people are going to get captured. You don't know if people are going to escape. You don't know if they're going to be able to to blow this thing and go home like you see in A New Hope. Um, I, I think that concept of, of New Hope... You know, the only reason you have that new hope is because of the hopelessness of this situation. It's pretty much a suicide run. And I think these characters know that when they board the dropship. They're like, we're just going to keep fighting until we have no fight left. And they literally prove that time and time and time again during this sequence. From the people that are, you know, flying in the fighters, trying to, to breach the gate... The people that are down on the ground that are just trying to mow down as many troopers as they possibly can. People that are pinned down up against different uh, tanks and walls trying to figure out how to get out of there. Uh, Bodhi and his efforts to try and establish communication uh, outside of the gate. You know, everybody's trying to do something. Cassian and Jin trying to find the right file. K2SO lodging a, a last minute, last man of, uh, last line of defense kind of situation. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's doing something and you're right like you said uh, earlier in the show when you're first watching it it can be a little overwhelming you're you're only keeping up with maybe two or three things and there's about seven or eight things going on but the more you watch and the more you realize how well choreographed it is the more beautiful it becomes and the more you come to realize just just how deep of an impact everybody's efforts makes towards saving the rebellion and saving the dream the way Saul Guerrero predicted earlier in the movie. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's this kind of you know, you, you don't know really what's been going on with the rebellion all this time and and yet this is like the rebellion's finest hour. They don't just get in here and get their butts kicked. They're winning. Like they attack them and they talk, catch the empire completely off guard. And it's like this very heroic moment. Even though everyone that's on the Rogue One team dies, they complete their mission. Yeah, they do. And it's it's probably due to some unorthodox tactics. You know, I, I think one of my favorite sequences in the whole movie is when Raddus calls up a hammerhead Corvette. And I'm just sitting here going, wait a second. What is one ship going to do against these Star Destroyers? And forcing them to do like a, a ramming maneuver having them do like a almost almost like a suicide type of run uh to, mm-hmm. in case you know some kind of chain reaction causes a whole bunch of explosions that little blockade runners uh shields are not going to hold up against the explosions of a corellian star destroyer let's be honest and yet getting a hold of that one that's damaged and having it crash into the fully functioning one and then the inertia from both of those impacts pushing it down onto the gate to, to, to close down the shield generator. Like, all of that was just so, so beautifully orchestrated, so visually compelling. And it's all thanks to an idea from one Admiral Raddus. Yeah, he, he, Raddus was the real MVP that day. He did a lot. He really did a lot to help secure that victory, which is why I'm glad they named a ship after him. 
You know, for those of you who yeah, don't know, the, the Resistance command ship in The Last Jedi is titled the Radis. It's amazing that Radis is the one that has the idea for this brilliant maneuver that manages to take out two Star Destroyers. Mm-hmm. Then they name a ship after him, and that ship is used for another brilliant maneuver that takes out like an entire fleet of ships. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> and it's a very similar ramming technique as well. You're, you're, yeah. you're flying straight into the ship in order to, to cause it to split, which is just brilliant. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like poetry. It rhymes. Now, where have I heard that before? I couldn't say, man. I could not say. Um, <sighs> but I, I should say that one of the other things I appreciate about this final scene is there? there's a sequence where there's some fighters that are flying uh, in the atmosphere. And I think one of them gets shot down. And you follow him get shot down. You follow the fighter crash into the ground. And that crash is happening in the background of a fight that's happening on the beach. That particular cutscene is probably one of the most beautiful cuts I have ever seen in cinema, period. You're following something in the air... That thing that's in the air comes down to the ground. You follow it to the ground, and you pick up on the ground where fighting has already begun, and you're just like examining the continuation of that. That type mm-hmm. of shot is just unprecedented and unparalleled. Absolutely beautiful. Oh yeah, yeah. It's that the, the whole the visuals, the visuals alone. As I said, like just watching this movie without sound is amazing like the visuals are astounding it's a sight to behold and that's why i really appreciated watching it on blu-ray i don't have a whole lot of star wars movies on blu-ray i think i have rogue one on blu-ray and i think i have solo on blu-ray and i'm working on getting the rest of the franchise on blu-ray the ones that are like digitally remastered and all that kind of stuff but Mm -hmm. it's still so freaking expensive man I've got a broadcasting headset I need to buy. I've got car payments I need to make. I've got rent that I need to pay. You know, I got all these other, you know, little things that I got to do that are just kind of getting in the way of buying Star Wars on Blu-ray. But after seeing Rogue One in in that format, I, I know that I need to get the rest of the saga like that as well. Hey, Star Wars is important. Star Wars is important. You gotta make, you gotta save your money for Star Wars. Yeah, true. You really gotta save your money for Star Wars nowadays because you you finish Celebration in Chicago and two months later, tickets for uh, Celebration in Anaheim go on sale. And within a matter of like 12 hours, 90% of the weekend passes are sold out. What credit card company are you people using? Because I need something with a very fixed APR and a low interest rate so that I can buy all the crap that you're buying that's Star Wars. Well, I think the the answer to that is uh, scalpers, because now if you go to eBay, there is a bunch of four-day passers on sale for uh, insane prices. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so thank the scalpers for once again ruining something. That's just, ugh. That really grinds my gears. Ugh. So bad. Okay. So all right. Bad. I'm not. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna talk about one more favorite component before we get to our quote of the night, and hopefully those tie in together in some capacity. Um, favorite character. There's a lot to choose from, and it was. It was a tough pick for Joey, and it's a tough pick for me too. But I think I know who my selection would be. What about you? Me. I'm gonna go with Chirrut. 
I love Chirrut. I, I think my one of my biggest complaints about this movie is there's not enough Chirrut in it. Mm. And like that, like that whole scene with him just kicking a bunch of stormtrooper butts. That's very with true. Only a stick. That's very and true. And doing this just old school kung fu fight in Star Wars. Like I, that was my like only disappointment is like that this scene doesn't go on like for the rest of the movie. <laughs> like there's so much more. Um, but his, his wit his you know, his, his wisdom, he it's, it's sorely needed in a film that is without the Jedi is, is, is you're feeling the effects of order 66 at this point, because there's no Jedi at all. None. Like the only one we know about is off on a desert planet, you know, hanging out, looking out, looking at lap, looking after a kid. So, and a uh, forest planet. Yeah. Okay. You, yeah, yeah, you got a point. You got they got that frog in the swamp, um, but other than that, like there's none out here fighting the good fight. But Chirrut is there, and uh, he's not a Jedi, but he's someone who is drawing on the Force, and he's I'm one with the Force, brilliant. and the Force is with me. I love that sequence, and I love how he can be comedic about it. Donnie Yen is just super talented in the fact that he can be doing all of these crazy awesome moves, and then right in the middle of that, he stubs someone's toe, and it goes, "Is your foot all right?" And then goes right back to kicking ass. <laughs> That's one of my favorite jokes in the whole movie is that one. Your foot all right. And then he like whacks somebody upside the head and like cracks their helmet, probably cracks their skull. But he's asking if the other person's foot is all right. This is one of the first times you actually see like stormtrooper armor like cracking and breaking because it's getting hit with... <laughs> With, with, like, physical objects and not lasers. Yeah, but not the last time that you see it, uh, thanks to certain teddy bear-sized characters that fight in a certain sixth installment of the saga. Also, the Mandalorian. Yes. The Mandalorian is going to have some big, big major Stormtrooper helmet breakage. That's very true. That That is very true. I think I think my choice is is pretty obvious, given just how much attention we've given to this character um k2so is my favorite character if i had gotten news that there was going to be a k2so series i would have been way more on board with it than a cassian series i i think even though we know what k's fate is it would be really interesting to see him as a somewhat malfunctioning imperial droid that gets put in these weird situations and then ends up meeting cassian and his whole life changes forever like, I think that would be a better story than the Cassian story, but I digress. If I had to give an honorable mention, though, it would go to the gentleman who is uh, tonight's quote of the night, one Mr. Galen Urso, whom we have not really talked about that much tonight. Yes, indeed. What, like, runner-up for, like, one of my favorite characters in in all of Star Wars, really. Oh, yeah. Like, you were, you were talking about Mad Mickelson's performances, uh, I definitely prefer his performance as Galen Erso far and away than his uh, minion slash uh, villainous portrayal in Doctor Strange. I almost didn't recognize him, and he was so blasé that I just I almost didn't know that that was Mads Mikkelsen to begin with. He stands out in this film, not just in the opening sequence, but the the way that he expresses his love for his Stardust. I mean. It's it's so so compelling and so wonderful, and it, it's it's why it's tonight's quote of the night. I'm just I'm just gonna shut up and 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 let him do the talking because 
I can't even come close to the strength of this dialogue that he gives when he's sending a message to Saw and, and part of that message goes to Jin. It's just so wonderful. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I'm going to let Mads Mikkelsen as Galen Erso do the talking now as we present to you tonight's Quote of the Night. So, if you are watching this, then perhaps there's a chance to save the Alliance. Perhaps there's a chance to explain myself, and though I don't dare hope for too much, a chance for Jen, if she's alive, if you can possibly find her, to let her know that my love for her has never faded, and how desperately I've missed her. Jen, my stardust. I can't imagine what you think of me. When I was taken, I faced some bitter truths. I was told that soon enough Krennic would have you as well. As time went by, I knew that you were either dead or so well hidden that he would never find you. I knew if I refused to work, if I took my own life, it would only be a matter of time before Krennic realized he no longer needed me to complete the project. So I did the one thing nobody expected. I lied. I learned to lie. I played the part of a beaten man resigned to the sanctuary of his work. I made myself indispensable, and all the while, I laid the groundwork of my revenge. We call it the Death Star. There is no better name, and the day is coming soon when it will be unleashed. I've placed a weakness deep within the system, a flaw so small and powerful they will never find it. But Jin, Jin, if you're listening, my beloved, so much of my life has been wasted. I try to think of you only in the moments when I'm strong because the pain of not having you with me, your mother, our family, the pain of that loss is so overwhelming I risk failing even now. It's just so hard not to think of you. Think of where you are. My stardust. So, reactor module that's the key that's the place i've laid my trap it's well hidden and unstable one blast to any part of it will destroy the entire station you'll need the plans the structural plans for the death star to find the reactor i know there's a complete engineering archive in a data vault at the citadel tower on scarif any pressurized explosion to the reactor module will set off a chain reaction that will destroy the entire station. Oh, man, I think one of my favorite parts of that monologue comes from the prologue where uh, Krennic is addressing him and he says, you're an inspired scientist, but you're a terrible liar. And then during the monologue, he says, I did the one thing that no one expected me to do. I lied. I learned to I lie. Learned I learned to lie. I played the part of a man resigned to his work. Like, oh, my gosh. And he played that part so incredibly well. He plotted his revenge so incredibly well. And it fits into the story of A New Hope so incredibly well. Oh my gosh, they need to use that monologue in drama classes. You know, I think something like Hamlet or The Glass Menagerie, those types of monologues are really popular in drama classes. But I think Galen Erso's monologue is so compelling there. And it goes completely uninterrupted. That whole message is just one scene, one sequence. 
And I feel like that's something that you could use in drama classes for monologues. I really do. It's it's a master class in acting. And, and, and props to Felicity Jones and Forrest Whitaker, too, who are bringing their A-game, too. And just giving... I mean, it's it's up there. I don't know if it's my number one anymore and I had to reconsider it, but it's top two or top three favorite Star Wars scenes ever for me. Like, it's so amazing. Oh, man. That that's pretty high praise, considering how many scenes of Star Wars you've seen. You've you've seen the holiday there's special. A, I'm not even brave a... enough for that. <laughs> yes, yes, of course the uh, the uh, the Wookiee porn scene is my number one oh, Star Wars scene. Yes, of course, has to be, has to be. <laughs> uh, well, dude, we're we're coming up on almost two hours of content here. I guess now's as good a time as any to discuss final thoughts on this film. We've kind of yeah. been all over the place. It hasn't really been a chronological discussion, but that's okay because we have covered a lot of things. But if you if you had to give like a final thoughts and a final impressions before the the planet score, what uh, what would that sound like? Well, yeah, I think I think we've done a pretty good job so far with this discussion. Considering, I mean, this is this is a revisited episode. We we've discussed this film before, but this is the first time we've discussed it kind of like way after the fact. Like it was it was a it was a brand new film. We last time we discussed it back in 2016, which was a few years ago, which blows my mind. Um, but uh, now we had a few years to go, and I'm glad to hear that you know it's it's aged well. I think I think Joey loved hearing his thoughts, um, and. I I've I think my opinion has only improved on this film. Really, truly, I think it is an amazing film. I kind of like forgot how amazing it was for a while, and then we did a commentary on the Star Wars Underworld, and I'm like, wow, I forgot this movie was this movie just freaking amazing. Like, and it's it holds up. It really does. It it's a really a gem in the, all the really great content we've gotten in this new era of Star Wars. Um, Rogue One stands out as just this amazing little thing, which is kind of sad because like it's kind of an experiment. And with Solo and the whole debacle with that, it's like I don't know if we're gonna get any more like films like Rogue One in regards to like just spinoffs that are like this. But I'm glad we have it. I'm glad that it's a thing and exists because it's it's just amazing what they did with this film. And you know, from the offset, like for the first. I, Thing I heard, but I can't remember what I thought exactly. But like, you know, this could have been bad. Like, this could have been like, oh, you're doing a direct people to, the, to a new hope like that. I don't know about that, but they just absolutely nailed it. And I think, uh, who knows? Like I said, I don't know what my score was. I don't know if we gave scores last time, but right now, as I'm sitting, I'm gonna give it an, I'm gonna give it an eight point five. Alrighty. You know, I'm curious if we did give scores, and I just don't remember what it was because we're supposed Let's to be... go back and listen to that episode. We're, we're supposed to be like doing a database of what our scores are for these movies, and like coming up with you know this big comprehensive numbers. It's basically like an IPC version of Rotten Tomatoes, if you will. And I just don't know if that's really happened, <laughs> like at all. But uh, let me see. What have we got here? We've got 243. That's tonight's episode. Wastelands. Top 5. Top 5. Sci-Fi Symphony. Uh, 17th of December, 2016. I found the show notes. Oh, my goodness. Wow, we talked about a lot. Holy crap. Make 10 men feel like 100. A fortune cookie was rebellions are built on hope. 
No kidding. <laughs> uh, we got Death Star. Favorite scene, favorite quote, favorite character. Most impactful death. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Jedha, Wobani, Lamu, Yavin, Mustafar, Scarif, Idu, and Coruscant flashback only. Wow, we talked about a lot of those different locations. But it doesn't look like we did ratings. So, this is the first time that we've done number scores for this show. Uh, no pressure, right, Zach? No pressure. Um, no, none at all. You know, I went back and watched this movie to, to be ready for this discussion, and I'm so glad that I did. I'm so glad that I didn't try and do this from memory. Because uh, it's probably been a year, year and a half since I last watched it. And to me, that is entirely too long. Uh, I've got this movie on digital download now, thanks to buying the Blu-ray. It came with a digital code, and I've got it saved to my account now. It's permanently saved on my phone. I can watch it or cast it onto a Google Chromecast anytime that I want. And I'm so glad that I've got that at my disposal, because it is such a good movie. Nice. And it's it's a shame that I only watch it once every 18 months or so, because it should be one of those things that I watch like once a year. And it's not. But it should be. Uh, it's highly rewatchable. I think I watched it seven times in seven days when it first came out in the theater. Which, I think, that seven is still the most times I've ever seen one movie in the theater. I'm working on tying that record, though, because I've seen Aladdin like three or four times already. I, f- oh, I wow. freaking love Aladdin, man. I'm not even kidding. I love Aladdin. And I'm getting it on Blu-ray, if not 4K, when it comes out. I don't even have a 4K TV, but I'm planning on getting it. Eventually. Oh, man. Um, but Rogue One still holds the record for most times I've seen this movie on the big screen. Because I knew that if I didn't catch it more times on the big screen, I would regret it. This is one of those films that you absolutely had to have seen on the big screen. And I'm so glad that I did. And I'm so glad that I've got a big enough screen now. It's like 50 inches. I've got a big enough screen that I can thoroughly enjoy every aspect of this film. And as much as I want to nitpick it, I just can't, man. The nostalgia is too much there. The great writing is too much there. The great locations are so prevalent. The tie-ins to the rest of the comprehensive storyline. There's just so many things about it that I want to praise that there's just not enough there for me to nitpick. So I think I'm going to, right now, this is based off of right now, June 21st, 2019. My ideas might change, but right now, I want to give this a 9.5 as well. 9.5. I'm I'm nice. going to I'm going to follow suit with with Joey. I'm going to follow suit. Nice. Uh Empire Strikes Back is going to be garnering a perfect 10. A perfect 10 out of 10. But Rogue One is right behind it with a 9.5. I love yeah. this movie. I think I think it's safe to say that it's a 10 out of 10 for most everyone. Like uh, that uh, spoiler alert, yeah, 10 out of 10 for me too. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> like that's a given. I mean, that that's going to be such an easy one to review because basically all we'll have to do is like a commentary and just be like, oh yeah, I love that scene. Oh yeah, I love that scene. Oh yeah, I love I mean, that scene. Empire Empire is a movie that like I've thought about literally my entire life and really can't come up with a decent criticism of it. Like 
So, like, how could I not give it a 10 out of 10? There's there's not much to criticize. There really isn't. It stands the test of time. It came out in, what, 81? 70? Was it? 80. 1980. It's going to turn 40 next year. Wow. It came out in 1980, and it still holds up today. Oh, yeah. I can't. That, That movie does not age. I can't wait to discuss that movie in a couple of months when we continue our Star Wars discussion here on the IPC podcast. Um, but we're almost done for the night. We've got a total of 27.5 out of 30 possible points from the host tonight for a total of 91.6%, which I think is pretty fair. Uh, if you want to tell us your planet scores, obviously we're not live on channel 1138 this week. We talked about the issues. So go find us on social media instead. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IPC podcast and send us your planet score for Rogue One, or you can try and get in touch with us personally. You can find Ben on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Ben Hart with no E. Just spell that out phonetically. Mm-hmm. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Zach, Z-A-C underscore D-F-W. Episodes of the IPC podcast are available on iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, and our partners over at StarWarsUnderworld.com. But you can also find us on our primary hosting platform, Podbean, at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Pod as in podcast, bean as in green bean. ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Plenty of ways to get in touch with us. Plenty of ways to listen to the show. Plenty of ways to enjoy this podcast, even if it's not live. So we really appreciate you guys' patience with us this week and hope you still had fun listening to what we had to say. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun. But we still have one more thing to talk about ever so briefly, but it just wouldn't be an IPC podcast without this little segment. No, it wouldn't. Ladies and gentlemen, get out your hashtags, and I'm not going to tell you to put them in the chat if you're listening live because we're not live. So just go ahead and get them out right now. Put them on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, anything else that carries a hashtag. Because it's time for hashtag barbecue watch. Barbecue. 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 I would just be remiss if we didn't say yeehaw at least once. <laughs> did you see my tweet? I did see your tweet. Did you? So, okay, story behind that. And for those who don't know, go to at Ben Hart with me or go to IP at IPC podcast on Twitter um, because I was in Hobby Lobby the other day. Oh, is that and... where you found it? Yes. And I go down one of the aisles. And of course, Hobby Lobby has thousands of signs anything you possibly think of and i go down and i see one that's big wooden sign that says yeehaw and i'm like oh this is perfect this is this is just dying for a picture i got a picture of it and and sometimes they don't like like you taking pictures of it because you're effectively stealing the sign but i did it and uh of course i i tweeted it as no one absolutely no one me on the IPC podcast, yeehaw! <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't, I'm like, because this is this just this is me. It's got me written all over it. Uh, great shameless plug for the show too. That was hilarious. 
can can always uh, always always need those Seamus plugs every once in a while. Well, it's it's all in good fun, and uh, now people have some exposure to some of the craziness that goes on here on the show. Yeah, exactly. So uh, our barbecue element, I believe, has something to do with the movie we just recently finished discussing, does it not? Well, yeah, I think we'd be remiss not to mention that there is a like I always try to like look at like what what food there is in in Star Wars. There's not a lot. There's actually not a lot of food in the Star Wars films. You think about it. there's like there's like a handful of um you know dinner scenes. Like you see Luke like munching on some like granola bars in Empire. Like, there's really not much to go they on. They look like fish sticks to me. Maybe they were. I don't know. I think it's supposed to be, like, like dried up, like, ration, like ration rations, sticks. like military rations that he's, that's the only thing he's got. Um, and then, then Yoda feeds him some stuff, and, and yeah, that's that, that didn't look appetizing. But uh, what, what stands out to me in Rogue One is I think it's in... Maybe in Jeddah too, but I think mainly on the Ring of Caffeine when he when he's walking through, and you see like some Imperial officer or something like that standing around like a like a kettle or something like that, and like this like street vendor is selling like cooking up look like looks like squid. Look at the squid is like still alive and it's like twitching, <laughs> and they're like frying it up. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know what they're actually cooking or what it tastes like. What kind of sea beasts they killed and are, are, are frying it up but like I'm intrigued because it really is the closest thing to barbecue in this movie and you know hey you know food delicacies in, in another galaxy is always intriguing so uh, I'm not I'm not much on squid to be honest not my thing but uh, obviously people in the galaxy far far away enjoy it so hmm. well, I mean there's some cultures here on earth that will serve you the fish still wriggling on the plate and I'm just not about that life. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, well, isn't that weird thing where I think, like, maybe it's Japan. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll serve you this fish. And it's like we fried it or, we like, cooked it, but it's still alive. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, first of all, um, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of PETA, but, like, PETA, get on this. You didn't like, fry it very well if it's still alive, did you? Look, look, if you're going to eat something... Do it the favor of killing it first and not frying it alive. Like, come on. Like, that's just... Ugh. But that is kind of what the squid looked like in, in the movie there. You're right. And while I'm not a very big seafood person, in fact, it's probably been since 2016 that I've had seafood. I think it was really? I think it was summer 2016 that I last had seafood, and it was because I was dating someone that was really into sushi, and I took her to a sushi restaurant, and I tried something that was on her plate. That was the last time that I ate seafood. We're no longer dating, so I have no reason to eat seafood. Ever. And see, I've eaten seafood all my life, still love seafood, and I've never had sushi. Yeah, it's not my thing. If I get sushi, I'm getting like the avocado roll or something like that, something that I know is safe. But, yeah, it's just it's just not my thing. Live fish on purpose and paying for it, That's just that's that's not my thing. If I want to see live fish on purpose and pay for it, I'm going to an aquarium. Thank you very much. I actually went back to this scene really quick, and just to clarify, um, I think the squid is in Jeddah, what I'm thinking about. What they have in Ringer Caffrine is like these... I don't even know what it is. It's like these kebab things. Oh, They're I like have being seen fried those. up, and people are, people are like picking them out and like eating them, and it's hard to tell like what is actually in them. 
but like they're they're people are enjoying them. Like they're putting them. Like, there's I just noticed there's one actor that like puts it up to his mouth and pretends to eat it, but you can tell, you can obviously tell he's not eating it. Oh man, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. I love when you just like you look at like the background extras. Yeah, when you catch the extras sometimes. doing something completely stupid, and you're like, really, dude, you're the one that got to be an extra and not me. Yeah, there's like the one Mon Cal in uh, Return of the Jedi when Akbar is doing his thing, and there's one to his left, I think. And of course, the actors in those suits like they can't see or do anything. They just like they have to be led around. Like there's no there's no air, there's no ear holes, there's no nothing. So you see one of them like is looking at a screen. And he thinks he's like pointing on a screen, but it's just a wall. <laughs> and so, like on camera in the scene, he's like pointing at it. He's like, "Oh, it's over here!" And he like moves over there and like starts pointing at the actual screen. It's hilarious. Wow. Oh, I need to go find these edits. Then I need to go. I need to go see these things that are like pointed out to me. Because most of the time, I'm looking at the stuff that's in the foreground and not the stuff that's in the background. So, uh, another reason to pay attention to what you're watching and enjoy every aspect of what's going on in a movie because you may catch something that you never saw before. Absolutely. I would definitely have one of those kebabs, by the way. Just putting that out there. Yeah, kebabs are good. Another reason to go to the Ring of Caffeine, I say. I heck yeah. You know what they need to do. They need to invent a Star Wars-themed coffee shop and call it the Ring of Caffeine. Oh, my God. Somebody get it. Okay, we, I'm going to have to edit this out because someone's going to steal that idea. I want it. Just just that little thing that's muted and then just get your reaction and you're like, oh, my God, we need that right now in our lives. It's just going to be bleeped out. It's like, hey, I have a great bleep. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Oh man! Well then, I've I've got the I've got the trademark on it now. Just calling it right now. That is that is my idea. You can't steal it from me, Lucasfilm. Oh, boy. oh man! I'll accept ten uh, percent in royalties and just be living in luxury for the rest of my life because this establishment now exists in Galaxy's Edge, and uh, a number one on the menu will cost twenty two dollars. Absolutely, people, get on it. People get will pay it. it. You know they will. Oh, they will. Absolutely. I would. I would. I'm that stupid. I, I'm, I, okay, so I would do that once, and I would call it a treat myself day. I, I would just have no regrets. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. You ever see that episode of Parks and Rec? No, but I've seen the memes, you've, so I'm, you've, I'm you've familiar with You've seen the memes. It. It's even funnier when you watch the actual thing. Dude, you got to get on Parks and Rec, man. I think I know, you would enjoy I the know. heck out of Parks and Rec. They actually make... Uh, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, and Star Trek jokes on it. Nice. They, they've got nice. one entire episode dedicated to midichlorians. Oh, really? Yes, okay. sir. Okay, I've got to see that. I've got to see that. That sounds awesome. It's pretty epic. It's pretty epic. But I'll just tease you with that. Maybe uh, by the end of the month or next month or something like that, you've at least seen that episode, and then we can discuss that for like a like a icebreaker or something. But yeah, sure. Who knows? I can I can tell you the, the name of the episode off air if you want, but... Uh, that's where we need to be actually we need to be off air thanks everyone for tuning into this week's episode ben any any final thoughts before we call it a night um just a thousand thank yous to joey we kind of got him on short notice and he was very kind enough to humor us and come on the show and you know on top of being a patron he's just a great friend and a great guest host for us and uh Love to have him on because, you know, we're trying to, you know, get some guests on here for at least for the Star Wars episodes and get people that are really passionate about each individual film. And we're working on some other guests, some people you may have heard of, you may not have heard of um, in the near future. 
that we want to get on some very special people that have never been on the show that are also very passionate about certain Star Wars films and we'll get their takes in the near future. But uh, yeah, it was a pleasure having Joey on and I'm looking forward to more of these discussions as we count down to the rise of Skywalker. 180 days or less, maybe. Or minus 27 days, depending on when you're listening to it. <laughs> People are like, oh, we've just been out. It's, it's been out a what week. Are what are you talking about? about, dumbass? It's been out for two months now. Well, guess what? You're the dumbass because you listened to this about eight months too late. Oh, I'm just kidding. We love each and every one of our listeners, and we're so grateful that you stuck with us, even though we had some technical difficulties going live. I know that some people like to listen to us on 1138 or on the show reel after it airs, but uh, hopefully this is still an okay substitute. Uh, we had a lot of fun making it. Hope you had fun listening to it. We'll see you all next week, but for now, episode 243 is officially being put to rest. For Benjamin Hart and Joey Mays, I'm Zach Arnold. Thank you for tuning in. We'll hope that you tune in next week. But until that time comes around, we just want to leave you with this closing thought. Trust is the greatest of gifts, but it must be earned. We trust that we'll hear you or hear from you next week right here on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone.